Hello and welcome to episode 278 of The Crate and Crowbar. It is the 2nd of April 2019, if you can believe it. My name is Chris Thurston and tonight I'm joined by Philippa Bohr. Hello! (laughs) 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 Auto-tuned. Philippa Bohr. Missed the note. (laughs) It's fine. And uh, Tom Francis. Hello. Who performs all of his own vocal stunts. (laughs) Tom, you're back from GDC. Yeah. I am. Yep. (laughs) Well... That's it. Uh, <laughs> no, how is CDC? I stepped over your follow-up question. Um, it was great. It always is great. Um, mostly, like for me, it's great because I get to get to see a load of friends who I don't normally see. And um, it's, I've heard it described as social crunch, which is accurate. <laughs> Seeing loads of people all the time for seven days straight. Um, but I also did see some talks. And I wrote up one of the, uh, probably the best one I saw actually was... Um, uh, Rich Wilson from Arcane talking about mm. a prey moon crash and I've written that up on RPS um, but talking about how that came about and the fact that um, just like the process for like how do you mix an immersive sim with a roguelike and why would you do that in the first place and that the best part of that was um, a very kind of uh, honest and revealing series of diagrams where he draws like uh, all of the dollar bills that represent the money you're spending on the game and then the path the player takes through them <laughs> and an right. immersive sim in a linear game it's like a big tall line and you just you get all the dollars <laughs> the yeah. player sees all the money you spent and in an immersive sim you're spreading it all over this big you know wider field and the player's meandering through it with a, uh, a wiggly path that misses a lot of what you're making mm. and then in a roguelike immersive sim your player's going to take multiple paths through that space so they end up seeing more of it yeah and therefore picking up more golden coins and getting a high yeah. score at the end because <laughs> yeah. that's how game, game game review works i also um there was a q a by uh epic about their store um which is it was weird it wasn't in an especially big room and it that room didn't even really fill up i don't think um hmm. which is bizarre because i would have thought that was you know usually when there's something that's kind of relevant to all of us developers um uh then it absolutely p- fills up but they reveal loads of like really specific concrete stuff um some of which was pretty surprising um it might have been scheduled against something yeah perhaps uh but so did any of you see the metro sales figure no um they say that metro the new one exodus has sold on epic 2.5 times what uh, last light sold on steam huh which is, I mean, the, I don't know, they didn't specify any more than that, so I don't know if they mean period for period, or whether they're like, the how much it's sold so far is how much is 2.5 times what right. Light has sold so far. That would be insane. But either stat is kind of insane. Like, I would have said that, okay, they probably got paid an insane amount of money to do this, but um, the sales themselves would have been way, way less than what they would have got on Steam. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I suppose it's hard to know what to attribute that to, exactly. Like, uh, if... Did they actually attribute it to anything? Like, did they offer? No, I think the implication was that it's because the Epic Store is awesome and they have loads <laughs> of, uh, they're doing everything right and everyone loves them. <laughs> I don't know what you were about to say, Chris, but like, obviously I have very specific knee-jerk things that are not that Epic is awesome and <laughs> that they're doing a million things right. What were you going to say? I was going to say, well, because I'm off the, just having, uh, briefly been, you know, covered both exodus and last light at various points during their development um there was definitely a much bigger push behind exodus like it got it got a you know a big e3 reveal it was hyped for longer it had a bigger marketing campaign 
Um, I heard yeah, but, of it, which is yeah, whereas, <laughs> that's quite something. Whereas Last Light, which is a good game, just sort of like Metro is an interesting one because it went from kind of like cult shooter, no one heard of, but people loved, to being um, a big thing now. But it feels like it only just became a big thing. Yeah. So to some extent, the fact that it sold two and a half times did they say exactly how many that is no okay well that's the thing right like, <laughs> maybe it sold two copies and then a refund <laughs> <laughs> like, that's my that's my caveat for this is that i think last light metro was still like quite underground as kind of shooters went and, <clears throat> and literally oh no what have i done <laughs> that was completely unintentional and i must now retire from the podcast good night i can do Pip, you're the host now <laughs> cool i can do any more than clear my throat disapprovingly because i had a mouthful of whiskey at the time <laughs> I think the other thing to bear in mind is that there still aren't the same number of games on Steam and it got particular prominence. It was also in the news a lot because of the the whole moving it from one platform yeah. to another, which was another round of essentially press coverage and, and word of mouth and reminders that it existed and mm-hmm. was coming up rather than just sort of disappearing in a sea of, of other releases. So... In short, <laughs> did they have any other big big facts? Uh, 85 million Epic Store users, 40% of them don't have Steam, mm. which I presume they know from their spyware. <laughs> uh, <laughs> did they say that in the talk? No. <laughs> That's one of those icebreaker Although, jokes. Jesus Christ, the questions were, went pretty fucking hard on them. Really? Um, there was uh, a lot of the questions were themed around, hey, is Tencent making you do this? Because <laughs> um, Tencent have a significant stake in Epic. Uh, one guy was just like on his Unreal Tournament bullshit and would not let it go. He was like, was it Tencent's decision to abandon the Unreal Tournament community? <laughs> like <laughs> awkward silence, a few chuckles around the room and said, um, no, Tencent don't determine any of our uh, business decisions. Um, and they said Tencent have zero to do with the, the Epic Store. They, um, they're not in our office. Tim Sweeney doesn't take orders from anybody. Um, and then the guy was like, so it was your decision to abandon the Unreal Tournament. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, damn, Columbo's here. <laughs> and he's furious about the Unreal Tournament. But yeah, if it left it at that, it would have been quite snappy. But there was like five follow-up questions about how they'd abandoned Unreal Tournament and why they were terrible. Oh, my God. <laughs> and the exclusives thing, a lot of people were pretty pissed off about that. And the especially the... They really kind of, uh, perhaps uh, presumably justifiably, um, sort of through... Uh, they didn't specify who, but somebody else involved with Metro, i.e. THQ probably, um, under the bus for, uh, the thing where they were still selling Metro on the Steam store. Right. When it was going to be oh, Epic exclusive, yeah. they said, uh, we'll, we'll make sure that never happens again. But, you know, we had talked to them already and they knew that it was going to be Epic exclusive and it was their call to, to sell it still on yeah, Steam. Yeah, right. Beep, beep, here comes the bus. I guess, <laughs> like, I wonder if that was to do with the fact that, like, um, the Epic Store wouldn't have had a wish list function at that point. So, you know, wanting to take advantage of a particular feature on Steam and then, you know, thinking that mm, they could yeah. just say, oh, well, it's only a digital distribution platform. Who gets well, was- that upset about those? <laughs> Uh, they were actually taking money for it when there was pre-orders, mm. uh, which they, I think they then like allowed them to be refunded, but yeah. I think they honored them on Steam. I can't 
remember. I can't remember ah, where yeah, it was at at that point. I think, yeah, I think they did. They weren't yeah. going to sell yeah, it, but right. they did honour it if you'd already paid for it. Yeah. yeah. So actually, it's not that bad. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's weird, but it's but like... it seems really weird if it was an exclusive that was kind of only sort of accidentally not quite an exclusive. Yeah. Actually, I can imagine Epic being pissed off about that primarily mm. because they're... You know, they just signed an exclusive deal and these guys are still selling it on a different store and those customers are actually going to get it. Yeah, exactly. So it's not exclusive, is it? Yeah. So <laughs> the deal, the thing you did is not it. Is anyway, it they say cheap? that exclusive thing is, I mean, Jesus Christ, their, their rhetoric around why they're doing this. Someone asked them why they're doing it and that they honestly tried to claim that it wasn't self-interest, that, that they were, you know, because their cut is better than Steam for developers, that they were, the motive behind it is that they need to spread this cut to more people to make the whole development scene better for everybody. So they have mm. to do exclusives to make that happen. But surely uh, if it was that great, developers would be doing it off their own bat. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> their, their phrase was, um, we're not trying to build an empire. <laughs> Hmm. Then I, th- why I think you, are. <laughs> I think you, you actually stumbled into having an empire and then you decided to expand that empire and uh... but hang on if they don't want to build an empire then stop doing it <laughs> like, <laughs> it's a terrible just, unfortunate accident like, <laughs> we can't stop it this empire just keeps happening like, to be fair I'm pretty sure every all of history's imperial <laughs> powers have used that line like the, the flag just fell here <laughs> <laughs> we actually hate owning these countries <laughs> we'd love to be out of it if, we could. <laughs> if anything it's tremendously hard for us <laughs> <laughs> Who are the real victims here? Probably Tim Sweeney. Oh boy. <laughs> um, let's see what else. Uh, they say twenty five percent. Twenty five percent of their game sales are coming through their um, kind of YouTuber streamer program, where like if you basically if a streamer covers your game and gives some kind of referral code thing, then. Um, you, when you buy the game, they get a kickback from it, and that kickback comes from Epic's cut, not the developer's. Um, although you, the developer can optionally increase that cut uh, out of their own share. Um, but yeah, 25% of their sales are coming from that. Um, so face-based affiliate linking, kind of. Yep, yep, <laughs> yep. Definitely no kind of quandaries to raise there. Mm. Just let that one go unregarded. <laughs> but the impact that has on media. Um, and they also... the. Interesting thing is that they don't, it sounds like they don't actually want to, firstly, what they say, it's going to be human curated pretty much indefinitely. Um, mm. It's not going to become an open platform like Steam. Um, and they said that when Steam reached around, like as Steam's library grew, they saw their own sales on Steam declining. And they said around 1500 titles was when it really got um, significant. And so they're sort of implying that that was maybe the limit they reach, or they also said like, you know, maybe when we get there, we'll see if there's, um, uh, you know, ways to expand without hurting the developers already there. But they're very much kind of trying to, um, I would say, feed into the uh, uh, indie apocalypse kind of fears and developers mm-hmm. who are struggling to make it on Steam because there's just so much stuff there. They're trying to not do that. Is that also not just a way of like trying to scoop people up as they panic? Basically saying yeah. you need to be in the first wave of a few hundred people because oh, otherwise see, yeah. you'll get left behind but actually, and we won't bother with you. <laughs> Maybe, um, but also, I mean, they are, they're not trying to persuade developers to come to them and ask to put their games on the store. I think they have way more developers than they need right now. You know, they're, they're okay. very much gatekeeping and, um, uh, only letting the things on that they especially want. Um, have, they haven't asked me is what I'm saying. <laughs> do you have a sense of like the 
the spread of what's on there because I haven't been checking in on it. So, like, I, I guess when it when you say human curated, the main concern I think I have there is you know, what groups would then be selected out or yeah. know, what games would then suddenly not be represented. Yeah. Um, they, so I haven't, haven't looked at it lately, but I mean, obviously there's just the, the headline ones like Subnautica and Hades and mm-hmm. um, uh, Slime Rancher. And uh, a lot of that stuff is pr- either games that are already proven or developers that are already proven. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see when they start there, there was like, especially stuff that's made in Unreal, okay, the, the yeah. engine. Um, yeah, that that's a lot of the stuff. The stuff I've never heard of in the Epic Store is Unreal Engine stuff, um, okay. because I think they're extra keen to promote that for obvious reasons. I wonder um, if um, if they're keen to curate around the idea of Fortnite players then finding things they're interested in. Yeah, I mean that's got to be why they've made such a big push to have games free on there, right? Where Subnautica is free and Slime Archer is free is is mm. they have this this. 80 million people, most of whom are used to playing a game just for free. And I think they want them to like say, okay, also free is this game. But if you'd like more like that, <laughs> then I think time to pay. free also means that people have the incentive to log back in or check, you yeah. know, check and see more things. So, yep. yeah. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see when they, if and when they start picking games from unproven developers other than just Unreal Engine stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, to see what their tastes are like, but they are, it sounds like they are not going to be tr- even try to be open and inclusive and try and represent everything. They, they said something like, um, we do not intend to have porn or hate games on the store and hate games, fair enough, but the definition of porn is going to be interesting to see mm-hmm. where they draw the line on that. Yeah. I mean, if they're handpicking everything, then we'll never find out because <laughs> they won't <laughs> go anywhere near their line. What was your lasting impression of it as a developer? Because obviously it's easy to kind of uh, criti- be, be critical of them and important to be critical of them and their, their offering. But I, I'd be interested to know what your overall kind of takeaway was from it in terms of the mood. Yeah, I don't have anything massive against them, really. I mean, honestly, the most the biggest, most off-putting thing is them trying to claim that, that it's all for altruistic reasons. It's <laughs> just such, like, thinly veiled... Uh, bullshit um but in terms of like as a platform like um i previously said <laughs> like oh, i you know i wouldn't do that exclusive thing because look at the backlash it's insane and then i heard the, some of the figures <laughs> rumored <laughs> people got paid and thought hmm actually <laughs> i shouldn't say in advance i wouldn't do that let like offer me that much money and let's see what my brain does <laughs> Um, cause it's easy to have a principle before someone offers you a vast amount of money to break that principle, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, like in general, the, um, uh, it would have to be enough money where I could, I would be willing to just change my identity <laughs> and never face any of the, any comments and never look Francois. at the reaction to any of my games ever again. <laughs> From Ubisoft. Francis Tom. That's me. Bye now. <laughs> um, so the exclusive thing is, is not appealing to me, but, um, I wouldn't, you know, rule out like having my games on their store at some point um if it's if the store itself is good and the the bullshit thing settles down like right (laughs) now it seems like being even associated with them is is kind of toxic but i imagine that will last forever i mean you remember like steam was pretty bad at first and yeah and is now (laughs) it has still some problems uh but in terms of like the actual like features it has and how usable it is it's um come a long way and then like stuff like Origin and Uplay and a lot of the other companies and Games Winners Live, 
the Windows Store. Um, all the other companies trying to enter the space sort of start uh, with high ambitions and then don't bother to or just don't like because their company structure often don't can't continue to invest in it and continue to make it better and better uh so it'll be the test will be whether epic actually do that and make their um fix all their shit yeah i think i'm mostly just waiting to see how it meaningfully differentiates itself from other options apart from the exclusive side of things yeah i think that's I don't the think thing it will. <laughs> but i mean I, I guess if it's if it becomes more of a i don't like the word boutique for it because i think it's that doesn't really sum up the the thing i mean but if they have more of a a human touch to it or more of a kind of um more identity to the selection or more more mm. personality mm. there that's something that i can see myself being at least interested enough to check out and you, because i'm not I, i'm not being um critical of them because i think you know the other offerings out there are amazing and i really think i'm definitely glad steam has competition and, and yeah. can maybe jerk itself out of complacency you know um but i yeah there's i think i've said this on the podcast before it's just i don't see apart from the exclusives why i would go there mm -hmm. yeah that's why they do exclusives <laughs> <laughs> anything else from ddc tom that sort of jumped out um saw some talks about subnautica and slay the spire and dead cells um, all of which mentioned their early access because all of them you know, um, did like a year of early access and did very regular updates throughout. Um, and that was kind of interesting from a, a sort of businessy standpoint. Dead Cells was really interesting. This is another one I'm writing up for RPS um, uh, about all the little helper mechanics it has behind the scenes to mm. try and like guess what you were trying to do and fix what you actually pressed. <laughs> so just stuff like... Um, if you press attack when there's an enemy behind you and no enemy in front of you, you'll turn around and hit them. Um, huh. Yeah, I think I feel you, you can tell that's happening. Yeah. A certain amount, but yeah. There's a, they say that there's loads of this stuff going on that um, apparently in all of early access, only two people ever mentioned that like as um, uh, to them. And they say that if you, if you actually did intend to attack that enemy and what happens is the player attacks that enemy, do you never consider that you did anything wrong you just think oh yeah i pressed the right buttons even if like you know in other circumstances you'd be able to tell actually no i didn't press left before i pressed attack yeah right huh that's really interesting mm. that's interesting because i'm yeah like when when you have things like aim assist on and stuff people get very sort of cranky about that even though it means that the you know the overall result is often better than they maybe yeah, were yeah. about to achieve so yeah. that's interesting. Although I suppose it varies because like Destiny has extremely strong aim assist because people don't complain yeah. about it. You know, I think also I think maybe tastes have evolved a little bit mm. in that regard. But yeah, it's super interesting. Mm. If we do some video game news yeah. from the week, the thing I was going to mention was um, so the game by The Outsiders, which was the studio co-founded by David Goldfarb, who did like Battle Battlefield Bad Company 2 and um, Payday, I believe, mm. some starbury stuff. Um which the, the game they had announced as Project White uh, was sort of revealed today and it has a name now. And the name is Darkborn, which hmm. 
I, the I, opposite of project wait maybe <laughs> it was white it sounds as in spirit, like a, as in w-i-g-h-t oh i see yeah like wicht i thought it was like yeah like oh we've really thrown them off the scent <laughs> project sun the game is called moons <laughs> you got me again pokemon um <laughs> um now it sounds like a from software game yes it does yeah um well, yes, it does. It sounds like two of two from software <laughs> games. Um, but it's like neither. In fact, uh, uh, did any of you see the 15 minute video of it they put out today? I saw something like a year ago, like, yeah, uh, like some example gameplay. So it's sort of a, um, I would describe it as it's like a, a Grendel simulator, as in Beowulf, as in the monster from Beowulf, hmm. as in you're a, a, you know, a vengeance seeking kind of beastie, um, sort of like a big golem imagine if you will just one massive golem um fucking up some vikings essentially in, in which is the plot of beowulf the oldest work in the english language <laughs> and um but it's also but in terms of how it played looking uh from from the sort of they showed like 15 minutes of i think continuous play from the beginning of the game onwards and it reminded me a bit of hellblade the darkness and um the uh shadow of mordor games in and, and and so it's an interesting one because so um and also the beginning of alien versus predator 2 <laughs> so you uh and it very uh, not a game pip should play because it uh it's uh it's very quick on impaling baby monsters almost straight away <laughs> in a kind of way that's sad um so you're a you know it starts with you as this little kind of you know golemling kind of creature sort of bat sort of bat werewolf spindly kind of monster boy girl i don't know creature thing and um your your parents and and younger sibling this little baby a quite cute baby one all leave the nest because they can hear voices and you sleep and then you wake up and there's lots of screaming and blood and shouting and you see the little baby one getting put on a spike and it's all very kind of it's all a bit much you know for for you so you decide to rip people's throats out with your teeth um and then you sort of uh so like mixture sort of stealth and traversal and first person stealth and traversal and things but with a lot of like sort of takedowns like very sort of visceral kind of to use a band word um first person dismemberings which is what reminded me of the darkness more than anything else it's got a little bit of far cry to it in the you know that sort of snap to take down far cry thing where it's like mm. yes i'm stabbing you in the neck now let's both enjoy this <laughs> um <laughs> uh that but with a lot of sort of talons in the neck um and then it's kind of interesting it sort of transitions in the uh, obviously i don't know exactly what the flow of the game is from the from the video but then it transitions into far more of an action game where you've suddenly gotten really big because you found your parents and ate a priest <laughs> <laughs> wait how did finding your parents make you big well um you find your parents when you the find priest, I understand. <laughs> yeah, when you find your dead your dead kin you like learn something from them so you gain the ability <laughs> learn bigness <laughs> yeah well you, you first learn the ability to shoot thorns why at did your i hands. think of that <laughs> <laughs> exactly you sort of there's like a first person cutscene you hold up the the head of your sort of uh, tortured and, and battered and chained parent and, and it goes sort of like, moop. And then you know how to fire thorns at your knuckles at Vikings now. <laughs> oh, this reminds me. <laughs> I bequeath to you My thorn this. Glands. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, um, and, and yeah, then so various weapons like the ability to kind of like create a whip from your arm and things. And then there's a sort of, there's a lot of sort of shredding Vikings in first person and ripping their, their, hearts out and throwing them and 
you know, darkness, very much felt darknessy to me. And then, um, uh, but then a fight with a, like a big Viking who has like a bunch of special characteristics, like immune to bite and bigness. Yeah. He, he very big, very big Viking, but yeah, like immune to bite doesn't like this or something like that, oh, so which like is what reminds me of Shadow of Mordor. Yeah. One. And so I think what I came away from it was like, it's genuinely interesting and it's a cool, like the Hellblade thing comes from part of the tone, like the sort of Norse sort of wintry. Um, I loved Hellblade very much, but I'd say that it was also a game set in a wintry shithole. Um, in a very powerful, profound way, but nonetheless, it's sort of like, um, you know, you can do God, you can do Norse settings in a sort of, um, not like, you know, in a kind of, uh, in a God of War way where everything's sort of larger than life and, and you are sort of on par, you know, you, you sort of a big kind of ebullient expression of that setting and you can do Norse myth where it's cold and crap and everyone's a bastard, which is the Hellblade slash this sort of approach, particularly because the, the, the Vikings have come and put all the people you care about on spikes, which is bad. Uh, but yeah, and it sort of makes sense of it. Like it, it got a bit busted and it's nice to see because it's not a big developer. I think it's maybe 30 people working on it, which is, and, and given how good it looks, like it's a, you know, a very, um, modern looking thing. Obviously really impressive production. I didn't get a tremendous sense though of how it all bolts together, mm. you know, like I, I, you know, whether you can go back to doing stealth when you're massive. <laughs> yeah for yeah. example like how how <laughs> that exactly works and then what the actual kind of arc of it is but yeah thought that was worthy of mentioning because mm. got announced today okay cool yeah it's been a long time that and it's been developed for two years i think they revealed it two years ago which is also <laughs> crazy because that means time is uh speeding up <laughs> um which well, beatles album did best be on the wall the white album yeah <laughs> good <laughs> so the the other thing from today that jumped out to me as, as newsworthy is um uh jason schreier has has uh done the thing he does well which is find out why game go wrong um yep. and <laughs> which is not to diminish it because it's genuinely a really really good piece it's uh speaking to uh, anonymously speaking to a lot of Bioware developers about Anthem and what happened, uh, with Vintage Touches as well on, uh, Andromeda and the sort of changing, uh, fate of that studio slash studios to encompass Edmonton, Montreal and Austin over the course of the last couple of years. And it's really interesting and quite hard to read in places because it's just a horrible kind of, uh, series of, um, situations for developers to, to find themselves in. And obviously I say that with the caveat that obviously it's, it's, it appears very well sourced, but as ever with something like this, there's a lot of different sides to these kinds of stories, but it has a true ring to it, at least yeah. based on the state of the game. I'm reading, seeing the headline. I always have like an instinctive reaction to these things when it's like a game that had a poor reception. I always immediately think like, Oh man, like the, all these people who worked on it for years, they just, been through yeah. hell and then have a bad reaction as well and then you know do we really need more negative press about it and then w- when you actually read it it's very sympathetic to them and just sort of paints the team in a in a good light basically and yeah and um uh speaks to the thing that i've seen over and over again in uh, especially in with big companies where the when something doesn't turn out well um or isn't received well um it's 
not because the team were lazy or stupid it's because of some and sometimes it's not even because like someone at the top was lazy and stupid in this case it sounds like there's just so many people like moving like Casey Hudson just left and was it sounds like not replaced um with you know an equivalent kind of leader yeah, or at least there, or there wasn't necessarily an equivalent leader in the company so yeah you have to reassemble a kind of status quo and, and so it just sounds like chaos basically just being pulled in different directions for years and um uh every decision being up in the air and not resolved and um yeah just an impossible uh situation to work in and to produce something coherent and uh, yeah the really striking things to me about it was or were that so there's a few things that sort of gel with broader things that you become aware of like you know issues with frostbite for example being a persistent mm. thing um across dragon age as well there's uh, a quote the, in there that says frostbite is uh has all the problems of an in-house engine where it's like weird and hacked together and not explained well and there's no good documentation and also all the problems of an external engine because no one you work with has worked on it or knows anything about it <laughs> Right. Yeah. And then, um, but also like the extent to which, uh, and this is the thing that surprised me because, uh, because it sounds like, I mean, Anthem was in development for six and a half years, I think. And then uh, one of the things that really struck me about that piece is the, the claim that the game was essentially made in the last nine months <laughs> that like, obviously there was, a, there was a tremendous amount of art and development and, 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 and writing and things, but the amount of sort of usable game that was actually produced, most of it was done very, very, very late in the day. And that, that you can feel that, I think, in the game that they released, but it's almost, there's still something kind of very, sort of almost shocking to have it confirmed, given, yeah. you know, it's, I, I, until I hadn't actually seen the E3 demo from a couple of years ago, um, again, since it, since they did it on stage at EA, right? I hadn't rewatched it or anything. And I, I, it's, you know, linked in that article and I rewatched it and it's striking. It's striking the, the game that it describes not being the one that exists and yeah it's just a real it's a real the real shame the other thing that um stood out to me from it and obviously this is a page in my own book of grudges but apparently one of the sort of diktats that was given um particularly for the storytelling component of the game was uh there can be no uh memeable problems <laughs> with it which is a direct reference to the fact that andromeda had so many problems yeah. with like gifts of its animations and things and as a consequence, uh, they invested a lot in very expensive performance capture, which meant that once written, none of the lines written for the game could be changed. Hmm. So there's loads of cutscenes that don't make any sense, that refer to events that don't happen, that, you know, that, you know, people say, you know, I, I don't know where this character is, but they're standing next to them. And it's because things changed in the design of missions, for example, or in just in the game as they do. But uh, ironically, that investment in... Uh, not having a face go all weird meant that they then created a memeable problem because people would then share those clips of these ridiculous cutscenes where someone yeah. says in a very well animated way, <laughs> I don't know where this person is whilst I'm next to them. And so it's sort of, you know, um, I guess the answer there is priorities really, but it's, it yeah. is harder to make a meme of that. Like you got to have some context and explain the guy in the background is the guy they're talking about. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. A, what, another quote that was really interesting. Um, was uh that someone or maybe several people uh described 
the way that Mass Effect development was run was um, Casey Hudson and his team were like uh, Picard on oh, the Enterprise yeah. with a singular mission and everyone did what the captain said. And Dragon Age's team was like a pirate ship like, meandering from port <laughs> to port. <laughs> I quite like that. Yeah. Although, I mean, the, the Enterprise analogy doesn't completely hold because... Did the Mass Effect team play, spend a lot of time fucking around in the holodeck? Like, were they all Robin <laughs> yeah. Hood for a week? And actually, no Enterprise reason? is not that focused. It kind <laughs> of does meander around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's a, you know, like it, it sort of it makes sense the first time you hear it. Maybe that's really accurate. Surely like, Voyager was more focused. Yeah, that's true. Voyager that's had an analogy. actual like we we want to go over there. It's interesting. Like, it sounds like it's a miracle that Dragon Age Inquisition is so good because yeah, right. it seems like it has like it was the first one who's frostbite. Um, and Frostbite is cited as one of the reasons that, you know, Andromeda was difficult to make and that um, the Anthem was difficult to make. And yet uh, Inquisition somehow got over it all. It sounds like the development was hell. And right. there's a quote in there, again, um, saying that like, Dragon Age Inquisition doing well is one of the worst things that could happen to Bioware because a lot of the people who worked on it were hoping, like, let's hope it bombs and it'll prove that this way of making games doesn't work because it was so brutal to go through. Unfortunately, it did well. <laughs> yeah, right. And it's, it's, it's maybe now they'll <laughs> say that's where games is finally not working. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, I, I, that's the one of the conclusions that the article's whole draws is that, you know, two big failures in a row, um, is a huge danger sign. My, my fear for, by the way, this isn't covered in the article. My fear for them is that, yeah, it's not necessarily an ecosystem that takes those kinds of failures as, okay, well, time to reassess how we use this pool of talent. It's, mm. m- you know, you just sort of cease to be or you get folded into something else, which would be a huge shame. It does feel like as well, like a lesson in just sort of the, the impossibility of fully changing the identity of a studio to, to perform a different task. Like there's a description that, um, I don't know if it was Andromeda or, or Anthem, but one of them lost a lot of their engine tech people to FIFA. Because FIFA needed help and FIFA makes all the money. So, you know, a single player RPG or a multiplayer RPG is never going to make as much money as FIFA does, you know, on a quiet day. So, you know, from a business point of view, it's a complete no brainer to reassign those people, but it leaves then these big games like Anthem or Andromeda without the people that actually make the engine. Cause yeah, FIFA just, yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's uh, a really, it's a really good, uh, read, but also, uh, profoundly sad if you were sort of, you know, as I do, love a particular era of games by that studio. Yeah. I kind of thinking they would have been better off just sort of swallowing the, the cost of using Unreal. Like that they had a sort of company wide mandate to let's all get on the same technology so we can share, uh, information and accumulated knowledge and everything, which I think makes a lot of sense. But making it your own engine, you know, saves you on royalty or, or whatever. License fees and yeah. things. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like Frostbite was not up to it and it's, had such a huge cost. Surely it would have been worth just paying what it costs. Well, the, thing that, the thing that surprised me is that like the Dragon Age team had to program the ability to save and Ooh. load the game <laughs> into the engine, which I find that surprising. But and it, yeah. it actually sounds like they kind of had to, to sort of uh, convert in both directions because obviously Dragon Age Inquisition was making a single player game from an engine that was built for multiplayer, so it doesn't have to save and load. Um, and then Anthem couldn't use Dragon Age Inquisitions, a lot of their tech, because it was built for a single player game where you don't have to worry about cheating, you don't have to worry about yeah, right. all kinds of security issues. And so they rebuilt a lot of that stuff. And so, yeah, just the worst possible. The, yeah, the other thing that came out in the article, and again, this is sort of hanging off all the caveats of 
according to anonymous sources, but was that because at the, at the game awards, I think they basically announced Dragon Age 4, like in all but name, they did a very kind of coy teaser for, um, Dreadwolf Rises, which would be the next Dragon Age game, which makes sense based on the events of the last DLC for Inquisition. Um, but I didn't realize that they had reportedly canned Dragon Age 4 and then rebooted it. So, you know, they apparently, um, and, um, that game was canned. That team was moved into basically get Anthem over the line and then started again, but having lost a lot of its people, which, uh, and now, uh, using entirely Anthem's tech. And I don't know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> so are they now having to like reverse engineer <laughs> take it back to inventory <laughs> Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> I'm um, not even working on it. I'm exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, just a, a strange, strange situation, particularly because, and I, I think this is raised in the article. It's something I felt that, you know, the time, like, uh, Bioware Austin were involved in this. Bioware Austin developed and continue to run a multiplayer story-driven online RPG. Mm. And it's, it's remarkable how few of the lessons of Star Wars The Old Republic were incorporated in, into Anthem in <laughs> any way, including how to tell a story in a multiplayer context or how to deliver cutscenes when people are in co-op and maybe playing with their friends and need to be able to revisit things like or any of that stuff and that comes across in the article that, that just there wasn't a th- uh you know the edmonton were the ideas studio and austin were the execution studio whether they liked it or not which is yeah it's again it's one of those sort of gut punch kind of like oh no you know and, and, and hindsight is twenty twenty. so you assume when you're giving quotes or something like this you have your yeah. best horror stories ready so that's the pinch of salt but still it's really good. Yeah. Put a link in the show notes, obviously, because it's, yeah. Poor devs. Hmm. Yeah. What have you been playing, Pip? I've been looking after a little shop <laughs> in a game called, I think it's Vinculture, which just means, I think it just means shop in Dutch. <laughs> okay. Um, but it's one of those, uh, little shop sim things where you uh start off with the shop that you have inherited from some relative somewhere <laughs> that screen went by quite quickly don't remember um and you have the basic space you put in a few tables you can put um your your stock of items on that and put a little counter in and then open up for business and people will just come in and buy the things that they are looking for um so far i have only played for a few hours but i've already started to expand the store i've um got a little outdoor area with planters so that i can grow some of my own potatoes and <laughs> artichokes and things like that so that i can have a supply of those that I don't need to pay for. Um, I have storage pallets so that I can keep backup stock and replenish my shelves and things. Um, yeah, so it's, and, and, and every day you can buy more things at nighttime or you can see whether the, the traveling merchants that come up to the counter have anything that you want to buy. Um, what kind of things do you sell in the shop? Is it vegetables? And- so it's interesting in that I'm wondering if as, cause it's an early access game. It was only about seven quid, I think. Hmm. Um, and so far I haven't been able to specialize at all. Um, hmm. 
as in I, I've tried because I have a little tailoring station and I can convert linen into trousers and shoes and uh, tunics and things. And I can level up my ability by doing more of that and therefore create better quality stuff that people pay more for. But even when I populated the whole shop with just clothes people would come in and they would have like a little but where are the potatoes <laughs> like thought bubble over their head i'm thinking okay. that in top shop all the time <laughs> <laughs> and so it was okay that's not gonna fly and so um i've i've had to try and keep a balance of stuff hanging around um so that's been I think I don't know how I feel about that because on the one hand you can start telling stories about the man who came in for two pairs of trousers and a sack of potatoes but on the other hand it it kind of means that the whole shop still feels a bit all over the place to Mm. me Um, and I feel like I'm getting better at you know things gradually but it doesn't feel like I'm able to excel in anything Mm. at the moment because i can't focus on it for long enough to Mm. to really boost it um i think maybe that will improve as they add more more bits to the shop so you can get different types of floor tiles you can get different you know um entrance ways to to match the decor you can up the appeal of your shop so that more people come visit it um but obviously there's a trade-off there with how many people turn up versus how much stock you can keep right, on yeah. hand, that kind of thing. Um, and there's also little environmental stuff. So there's a seasonal progression, which I think can affect, I, I don't know if it can affect what grows because I'm only, I've only been through spring and summer at the moment. So I don't know whether the planters that I've got outside will need to come back in or something or whether I'll stop being able to grow things. Um, and uh, there's also other weird things like I, I got a little notification on the top bar that I checked and it said that there had been a forest fire. So the price of wood had gone up. So it was more expensive for me to buy. But it meant that because I actually had bought quite a bit of wood um, just before that happened, I could sell it for more. Mm. So sometimes you just end up with, oh, a lot of cash at the end of a day. And that's quite nice. But I, I think I'm not either the game feedback loop isn't quite there yet on that front, or I'm not looking at the right information on the screen yet, but I can't often predict what's going to sell well. Mm. And I think, <sighs> I'm trying to work out the the ways that people buy things because it seems like if they turn up at your shop and the thing that they're looking for is on the shelf already, they'll buy that and then maybe buy one or two extra things as well. So it's good that that stuff was already there. But if the thing that they wanted isn't there, they'll stand there with the picture of it in their thought bubble above their head <laughs> until you put it out. But then they'll only, <laughs> they'll only buy that one thing. So I guess, you know, right. that's about, oh, 
you know keep a variety of stuff on your shelves and things but <laughs> do, they, do they ever leave or is it just sort of thinking about potato forever <laughs> so they have a timer until they get sad so you've got a little window of opportunity in which to provide whatever it is that they're after um but if you can't like for example if the merchant has already been and gone for the day or um if they don't happen to have the thing that you're lacking that the person wants or if there's not enough time to craft it at one of your crafting stations then they just get really sad and leave i don't know if (laughs) can you tell them today we have no potato (laughs) i see this is the stuff i think it's still really early access Mm. i I think i'm not sure ultimately like how far through that process it's gone um so uh, you know i'm i'm just trying to temper people's expectations because i'm obviously really enjoying it you have to kind of pry me away from it to to come and do this <laughs> podcast it was like i've got clogs to craft what are you talking about um and it seems quite good at you so you earn experience and i've been you know i guess leveling up various things in my shop so i've also been unlocking new new items to make it pretty new things to hang on the wall different types of shelving different storage options that kind of stuff so that's been that's been cool i get sucked into those loops so easily (laughs) but i I, yeah like at the end of the day if somebody's looking for i don't know asparagus and you don't have any you just have to awkwardly stand there waiting out their sadness timer until they leave (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) but you can't even just usher them out of the shop and go please please stop now (laughs) roughly how much longer do you have on your asparagus wanting (laughs) (laughs) Like, how how long are you going to keep this up, friend? (laughs) But yeah, so it's, I've found it nice and relaxing, but I think it's one of those ones where I think it, it still has a bit of a journey to go through in terms of refining those things or, you know, or maybe I just would like, things that they're not as interested in like that specialism type stuff Mm -hmm. i like the idea that maybe i could because in the sims i just sometimes focus in on um on growing plants and things and and harvesting crops because that's my economy it's like i don't need a job i've got brilliant potatoes like what are you worried about you know yeah i've got these apples like how about these apples exactly and if you get your farm going it's brilliant um so i think i'd like that and i i haven't seen a way to automatically restock shelves and things yet so there's a lot of clicking on Hmm. on things and that has really affected how i lay out my shop because essentially i don't want anything that isn't on one wall (laughs) so it's everything over to the left of the shop is where you know you can stack things because otherwise it's inefficient clicking yeah (laughs) And if you're sad about potatoes, you can stand on the right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really cute and really charming and, and actually very manageable mm. in a way that I find a lot of, um, a lot of games aren't sometimes down. Yeah. I feel <laughs> so. like if you sold magazines, then it would be better to not have what they want because while they're sitting there pining for their asparagus, they might want something to read and then they buy the magazine and then you bring in the asparagus. Like you had it all along. You just. <laughs> that, how- are you are you saying that I should hold vegetables hostage yep. to sell this magazines? This is how we save. 
print media. Yeah, I was going to say... <laughs> Asparagus crime. it's been a while since you worked in print media. <laughs> Is that not the kind of ploy that they're pulling these days? I mean, maybe in my day, it was put... all asparagus with hold all. <laughs> maybe if they put asparagus on the front of the magazine, like as a free gift or something, <laughs> then that would, uh, that would help me. Or like buy one, get something else. What if it was a magazine about a vegetable you did have? So <laughs> you're sad about no asparagus, but mm. you need something to read. So you pick up broccoli monthly or something. <laughs> but they do have broccoli. Then you buy broccoli. Then you're happy. At which point you bring the asparagus out. They've bought both. Quinn's in. Maybe. We'll eat this Christmas. Or both, maybe of you, like, both of you. Maybe you get people outside the store just sort of having really loud chats about how great the things you do have in stock are and, and how lame asparagus actually is. <laughs> YouTubers. They get 25%. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I need them to funnel things to my epic store. <laughs> yeah. That would be great. So, yeah, what you need is ex- exclusives, really. We missed but, a really good segue here. Or is it? And Pip, you've got your own epic store. <laughs> <laughs> we did, yeah. We had to talk about... Um, uh, goblins and things going wrong <laughs> mm, i mean i've i've bought a uh, a small rug that's uh, boosted the attractiveness of my shop right up there so to yeah, stare at while great. you're looking at your feet yeah. <laughs> side of potatoes i've got a, a vase of tulips also good i'm considering a picture of a cat i think <laughs> it's gonna be good it's gonna be great typical shop <laughs> yeah i mean there's nowhere for my shopkeeper to sleep or eat or <laughs> sit <laughs> but you know <laughs> wait so what do you see when the shop closes so they just stand they just there? stand there in in terms of <laughs> so dark, you thinking about shop <laughs> <laughs> you only shop only, was open <laughs> you can only rearrange furniture that they're standing near so you have to sort of make them walk around so that you can reposition the the furniture if you i like that they are not you in this conception of it <laughs> Well, it's because you have to manage an avatar to make it, to make the interface work. And right. so it, it isn't you as a godlike being. It's, it's you as a godlike being forcing a puppet to <laughs> do your bidding and be near the things you want to affect. Look, it's very complicated. You have never run a shop before, so you can't tell me what this is. That's true. Mm, I used to work in retail. This is exactly <laughs> it was what just it's like. like. That. <laughs> Someone would assign me to the help desk. I would stand there and I would help people. <laughs> you yeah. must stand next to something in order to move it. That is true. Yeah, exactly. But to be clear, the avatar doesn't actually move the furniture. They just stand near it no, while it No, they moves. stand near it and they move it. So they're kind of a telekinetic. Ish. Yeah, it's like they've got a really localised telekinesis <laughs> going on. They're probably a poltergeist is what I'm getting. Or you're I a mean, it's longer range than my telekinesis. <laughs> <laughs> or you're a poltergeist and they are haunted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's probably better yeah. about this. But yeah, so um, that's that's my... Life What's it called again? Right now. Uh, Vinculture, hmm. I believe. That pronunciation might well be up for debate. Don't know. <laughs> is it on Sounds Steam? Sounds like a job for show notes. It is on Steam. Cool. It is. And it is in early access. And I believe it is about £7 at the moment. I seem to recall a friend of the podcast, Mike Cook, has recommended this as well. And that's very... the exact person whose tweets reminded me to uh, try it out <laughs> and to pick it up. And I did exactly those two things. He's got some cheese on a pedestal in his shop. <laughs> He's very happy about his cheese. I've only just unlocked the ability to get cheese. So I keep putting it on high shelves. 
but not in a pedestal kind of way, just in a kind of it's pleasing to me on those shelves. And then I've got like a whole like um, cupboard of trousers. And then my my tunics are now of such a quality that they sparkle blue. So, because you can see the kind of the rarity of things, because normal stuff is just like white sparkles. So does sufficiently good cheese sparkle blue? I don't know, because I don't know if it's a thing that you can then make because um, you only unlock things gradually and so all I've got are the planters and the uh, the tailoring station so I don't know if you can unlock things like um, so you can sell bread but I don't know whether you get maybe a, a bread oven or something at some point and that would be cool <laughs> or like if um, what was the other stuff like you know for cheese maybe you could get like a cheese making kit some kind of what's the thing the grinder Cow. Cheese grinder. Yeah, well, no, <laughs> you know the thing. The, um, Churn. Yeah, like, oh, that's butter, I suppose. But then you use the. I don't know. How do you do? You, you leave it to ferment, don't you? You put thingy in it. It's you know you need you need to add that ingredient. The same as completely escaped Mold. me that comes from a lamb's stomach, I believe. Renin. That's the one. Rennet. 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 Mm, Rennet sounds right. Yeah, it does sound right. Yeah, yeah. You put that in it. But that's that can't be it. Well, no, then you have to kind of store it and, you know, age it, I guess. I don't know. Google I'm not it. a cheese smith. <laughs> you Google this. I don't want to. Oh. <laughs> well, you can't be putting out misinformation. We don't know anything about cheese. <laughs> <laughs> no one coming here was looking for cheese yeah, facts. <laughs> then we all tried to give cheese facts. We don't have any cheese facts. <laughs> Anyway. We are standing, standing sadly thinking of cheese facts, <laughs> waiting yeah. for the cheese facts to appear. No, we've got Reading nothing. a magazine. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> subscribe to your local cheesemaker magazine. Anyway, I'm done. I've got <laughs> <laughs> Tom, I'd be interested to know, because uh, I know there's a game we've both been playing, but I'd be interested to know what you have made of uh, Sekiro, Shadow's Die Twice so far. Yeah. We spoke about it extensively on the last pod. Yeah, but I'll, I'll be quick. You've got a really good... <laughs> perspective on this because it's not the sort of game i would associate uh, you with so <laughs> i wouldn't call it good <laughs> uh but my perspective i mean um yeah i bounced off dark souls and that's the only other from soft game i've tr- even tried um and i bounced off dark souls because i don't like boss fights or repeating myself <laughs> and that's a game comprised of those two things uh but i've got on much better with sekiro i played about five hours of it and i think that's because it has a much better I have a much better sense of whether I did a fight right or not. Like when you do a fight right in Sekiro, you you know you're parrying. Uh, well, for me, you're you're not parrying everything, but you're blocking everything at least and parrying some of that stuff. And yeah. then you do a really cool dramatic finishing move and it kills them. Whereas in Dark Souls, even when I was getting through the fights, I was like, uh, I don't know if that if I really did that right or if like you know is losing a couple of hit points to that kind of enemy a good or a good performance or a bad one or um, it always felt kind of messy mm. when I was getting through it. Um, and then also when you do die to like boss fights are still um uh big dudes who have certain attack thingies that you've got to learn <laughs> um <laughs> i was gonna say patterns but i don't think it's, it's that rigid necessarily but it's more like you know you, you get to know the boss you get to they know what, moves, they, what they might yeah. do and how to what when you need to press uh, parry to um to deal with it and what else you need to do to to deal with their attacks and you know whether you should 
run in and put pressure on them or whether you should hold back and see what they do and that kind of stuff. Uh, so it was about learning those bosses. And in Dark Souls, that was a pain in the ass for me because every time I died, I had to trudge through all this combat to get back to them. And you still have to, you still are reset to, um, well, one time you die, you can resurrect on the spot, but then you get, um, uh, you go back to a campfire or equivalent shrine. Um, but because this is kind of a stealth game and has a grappling hook, two things I like, <laughs> um, getting back to where you were is way quicker. Yeah, you can yeah. just grapple past everybody. You just don't need to, uh, even if you didn't have grapple hook, you could probably sneak past a lot of them. Um, but yeah, it's, it's quick to get back to where you were. It's still, uh, I am now at the point I played about five hours and the other weird thing is I haven't found it that difficult. Like I, I haven't been breezing through it, but like I haven't had any, any boss that's been, um, like something I bash my head against for, you know, 20 minutes or anything. Yeah, yeah. It's always been like... 20 minutes, oh, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> um, I haven't fought any of the really tough ones, I don't think. I haven't done the Chained Ogre. Um, and oh, okay. Right, yeah. So yeah. I, I've encountered him, but I just skipped him because I heard that you needed the flame thing, and I've got that now. But um, I, the branch that, on which you get the flame thing is really, really long, so I'm still going down that. Right, yeah. Um, the... the Speary guy, where it's good if you've learned the the thrust counter mm. ability. Yes, I know. Um, I fought him. He was not uh, difficult for me. Huh. Um, good going. And now I'm on a drunk guy. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, uh, he certainly kicked my ass the first time I fought him. I haven't tried again since. Um, but it's starting to get to the point where I'm losing patience because although I can get back to where I was, a lot of the bosses are surrounded by minions, and I personally. Uh, uh, want to take all those guys out in stealth and I can do it eventually but it does take a long time and so for every try at the boss I've got to do that all over again basically yeah right that that drunk guy's an interesting example actually I think of one of the first fights where you actually have quite a lot there's some there's some things in the environment but there's also different routes and things you have a little bit of choice of how you set up the fight like it's almost inevitable that you're going to have a fight with the boss and whoever you haven't managed to hmm. stealth to death but it's actually, yeah, a good example of why the stealth system is cool, I think, because it allows you to sort of pick which enemy you find the least, you know, or, you know, the one you want to deal with the least and then sort of plot your course through the minions and then start working on the big man who, who spits poisonous booze at you. <laughs> yeah. But that's when I discover, oh, I didn't, I didn't know he was going to do that. And now I'm dead. <laughs> I've got yeah. to do all that again. <laughs> yeah. Like you can, in theory, cause you can resurrect. I've usually only got one resurrect ready. And that means that. I can get up and I could try him again, but if I die then I've lost and then you lose some permanent or, you know, there's, it has the, the yeah, right. thing spreads and there's a bigger punishment for that. So I don't, I go back to the base and I rest and, um, then come back. Uh, I have like on outside of the bosses. Um, I've been pleased to find sometimes like I'll come against like a load of ranged enemies and think, Oh God, I'm really going to have to shuriken all these people or, or uh, something like that. And then realize oh no if i go down here and then take this alternate path i can come around the side of the cliff and come up behind them and then you know stealth kill them all which is what i like to do yeah <laughs> so like alternate routes to to take down a group of enemies is a cool thing yeah that's i'm uh, glad you're enjoying it because it's it's great i'm on the last boss now and i hate it now <laughs> <laughs> how long has that taken you um it's taken i think i'm on the last boss so that's a caveat i think <laughs> i am it very much feels like the last boss um but um that is 35 hours which i think is decent going um but yeah it's definitely uh and that's i think i made quite a lot of progress since we spoke about it last week on the pod um and it's 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 great it's definitely huge um i still very 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 much love it although i think it gets it gets hard like you know it, it there's a there's a point um that's a fair way ahead where 
of, of where you're up to where um there are there are bosses that it considers the actual bosses that you get that'll give you like a special thing that uh permanently upgrades you which is good and it's not the other thing that permanently you know it's a sort of a specific to each boss and it's when you encounter the first one of them and i was maybe 10 15 hours into the game at that point and you go oh that was a boss <laughs> oh that's the one you think is a boss everything yeah. else is a mini boss oh shit yeah i don't think i fought a real boss yet. You, you haven't <laughs> like which is great because it's sort of it you know they they you know it continually surprised me with how much rad stuff there is in it and like really amazing environments and creature designs and just really spect- spectacular kind of moments um and there's so much to it and I'm, I've, I've now got the i think there's a uh i won't bang on about sakura any more than i have on the previous pod but like there's something like the reverse big town problem <laughs> that, that small town <laughs> yeah that from soft games create where you're sort of you tunnel on this thread like the thing they're amazing at i think is like uh you know in a, if you play either a big rpg or a ubisoft game or something like that you're constantly achieving stuff you're, you're going you go to a place you do the thing you climb the tower you get the thing you get the points you get the crafting thing you go there you do a side quest you're constantly achieving like a very small amount and whereas in a from software game sometimes you just like beat a fight you found tough and unlocked the next bonfire or the shrine or whatever and you feel like wow i just made made a whole bunch of progress and then the thing they don't tell you is that over the course of that playthrough, you're making loads and loads of decisions and, and, you know, you're choosing loads of different things about your route, which NPCs you talk to and what you say and how you talk to them that change the ending. And so <laughs> you get to the end and you realize, oh, this is a culmination of a series of decisions I didn't know I was making. And it's, it's never paralyzed me with that decision. And now I'm paralyzed by the scope <laughs> of what everything I've done and how far I've come and how on on irrecoverable my state is which is not something games often thrust you into right mm. like games will often leave it right to the end to say like which ending do you want and the day of sex thing of yeah. like you've you've done it which one which one <laughs> do you like do you want this one sure whereas this is very much like this is you know it's, it's it's got a lot more integrity for that reason but the reason i call it the reverse of the the big town problem is it's almost like you know at no point did you make me aware of the the span of possibility mm. so i just did things and now <laughs> now i'm ruining it or whatever you know what i mean and it's 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 great but also hard and makes you sad and then and then sometimes <laughs> and then some swordsmen are dicks is the thing and you don't want to have to you know somebody's just going to fight some ninjas or a big samurai or something and it takes fucking forever and that's sakura i definitely have settled into the rhythm of like i will try this boss three times then i'm going to switch it off and do something else yeah because that's like the only way to keep sanity well that's about my limit as well yeah i think a problem so i really like that there's a practice guy and you can practice fighting against him and that was made me realize oh shit i could i think i could get good at this game if i could restart every boss fight just infinitely with just quick save uh because like practicing parrying against him if i can just do it over and over again i just get it down and i'm just like okay i can just parry that guy forever even i'll even like push myself to like try you know do something irrelevant halfway through his strike and then see if you can still parry, you know, and change course yeah, and yeah. stuff. And I it got better at that. But when it's like, if I have to trek back to the boss and then fight a bunch of other stuff on the way, that distracts me and I lose the thread of what I was learning about that boss. So the thing I would say that's really good about it is when it gets hard, it, it doesn't ask you to do a run back at all. Oh. Like the, the shrine is next to the boss. Oh, like, cool. you know, um, for the really hard ones, like it expects you to get to the point where like for the mini bosses, which are the guys who have like maybe two, two death blow points mm. and, and you fight, it kind of expects you to have gotten to the point where you're familiar with basically everything these people can do. So they'll, it'll make them like skippable, but you may have a bit of a run back if you decide to kind of grind away trying to beat them, but they're skippable. So it's, you know, right. it's your choice. But for the big, the really tough bosses, yeah, the, the run back is no enemies 
10 seconds through a door, like, and you're back kind of thing, which is good because it makes it less, it makes it far less, um, uh, far less grueling in some ways. In some ways, almost more because you don't get any break from the kind of relentless <laughs> learn, 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 but that can be satisfying in its own way. So, yeah. so yeah. Um, so yeah, when we were talking about, um, Sekiro, um, last week, I said I would be amazed if, uh, a better game w- was released this year because I was so impressed with it and really, really have loved it. Uh, and then, uh, Totally Accurate Battle Simulator <laughs> just came out of nowhere. Very much in the same vein. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Meticulous, razor sharp <laughs> simulation of combat between expert, um, uh, very deadly combatants um set against the some backdrop of historical war um so yeah and i've been following both- gifts yeah. of this for years and uh getting increasingly excited about it um because uh it's yeah a, a slapstick uh battle simulator where uh there are different sets of units from different eras they're all very physics driven you've talked before about their battle royale game yeah right? totally accurate battlegrounds yeah <laughs> yeah um and yeah it's uh all physics driven everyone looks ridiculous and um it takes a sort of defiantly inaccurate view of history <laughs> where like <laughs> viking longboats are just because it's all land-based the vikings are just holding up the longboat <laughs> it's just like one person at the front one person at the back just carrying it and there's just the way it's combat effective is that they run towards the enemy and just kind of throw it at them and then it lands and, and like breaks to pieces but then the people inside who have oars just hit everyone with the oars <laughs> and it's surprisingly effective. Yeah. It, it's so it's, it's like, it's a bit like if, so the actual involvement in it is not actually like, it's not like an RTS or anything. You, you, you know, if you're playing a challenge, you get to see one half of the battlefield and you have a certain points value that you spend on building an army on the other half. And then you press go and the two armies run at each other and then physics happens basically. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, it's brilliant. I was, I realized coming, uh, knowing I was going to be talking about it tonight. I'm it really, it's, it's a struggle to articulate why it's so great. Cause it's like, it's not, so it's, it is very physically in that two identical scenarios can go completely differently. Cause like if someone like gets caught on someone else's spear, like under their yeah. arm, then they can get carried around on top of the spear, like not dead, just kind of getting st- stuck up there and no one else knows what to do about it. Cause the AI is ultimately really rudimentary. Like enemies will run at each other and then fire or, or swing their swords or do whatever at the, whatever speed interval is, yeah, is they are set to do. And, um, and right. that is it. I had uh, the king, who's a the medieval era's star unit, who's just like a really tall man with a sword and a crown, who's super tough. Uh, <laughs> and he sort of goes like, everything he sounds like the last line of a speech. I had him just versus like 20 shield guys, just to see what that was like. I can't remember what era the shield guys were from, but he, the first one he killed, he sort of, like scooped him up on his sword in such a way that the shield, all of these shields have a little hole in the top left corner and that hole went over the tip of his sword. And so it slotted down and just dangled <laughs> from his sword and actually protected him from most of the hits of the other shield guys. <laughs> They're just like this pure quirk of the physics system that the shield has stuck to him and st- stayed on for the rest of the battle and he won easily. <laughs> and it's, it's funny because like winning and losing can feel 
obviously super arbitrary because mm. it's such nonsense and it's all it's, it's it's all on the charm of it and it's almost defiantly unwilling to be refined it's like if you had to draw like what is the opposite of into the breach and it's this. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. like it is it is utter, like it is completely uninterested in like you know sort of razor sharp tactical um refinement while also like offering sort of structured challenges in some ways but often they're sort of trivially easy and yet somehow that's amazing just because of the situations that like emerge based on your choice of units and how things happen to interact and 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 at the same time there is a sort of logic to you can look at us you know i think the thing for me is because there's you know there's a sandbox where you can do whatever but there's also like you know there are missions and and there's loads of them actually and some of them are really really easy like (laughs) it's often just like here's some stuff or like the mission itself is kind of a gag like did you the, the only one i found uh especially difficult was the one where it's like a city with two channels down it and there's two groups of enemies yeah right um, i think that's yeah because there are three sets of missions right and like yeah. three sets of 50 i think um maybe that's wrong but yeah that one uh it's uh, the only thing i figured out was you have access to catapults um and you can only afford one catapult but a, cat, a single catapult boulder can wipe out one of those groups of enemies but a catapult is very slow to fire and if anything just touches it it falls apart yeah and i was trying to figure out a way of doing that like after you build one catapult you have i don't know like uh, a very small budget left for anything else you can only build like one or two other units um, and very basic ones and um at first i built just like a few basic defenders because i thought well it's going to take out take out one group really quickly and then while the other group comes towards it as long as these defenders can you know hold them off for a little while it can get a second boulder ready and then kill them uh what actually happened is because you can't control your units in any way the two soldier guys i'd spawned just ran straight to the enemy immediately and got themselves killed before the first boulder was fired um and so then i tried placing bards as the backup (laughs) and bards have different ai because i don't even know what they do at all i assume they support your troops in some way no okay they do bards are the best thing in the game (laughs) they run away from enemies that's their ai and that worked way better because (laughs) the bards would immediately they actually i tell a lie they run towards the enemy until they are actually close to them and then they run away from them and so they they ran up to the first enemy group and then just ran away from them in a different direction to the catapult and so all the enemies just chased these bards like, yeah. for ages while the catapult that got, is like, what bards are for shots. yeah right. like i so the it's interesting so that yeah that first set of missions unlocks all of the units as you go through it and then the second and third batches of missions um you just get given a points value and you have access to every unit that you can afford so across eras you can pick whatever you like and that's that's i think they're called like adventure and challenge is the second all uh, right so i played one set of missions and then i, I yeah, noticed that, in the options menu i could choose to unlock all the things but i didn't know there was other sets of missions yeah so if you click i can't remember what the button is it's like you know the missions rather than sandbox then there are three categories all right. and the second two it's just a points value and usually the points value you have is slightly less than the points value yeah. of the opposing i mean that's where the challenge comes from it's like beat it more efficiently and there's a really um the thing I really kind of love about it um, is sometimes like I've just figured out certain things that almost always work regardless of the situation. And one of them is a, a tactic I, I started thinking of as the Barden switch, which is almost anything in the game. Cause there are things like leaping Vikings that will leap at a mm. target archers or potion throwers that will throw potions at a particular point. Often the way you win, you might have 10,000 points to spend, which is loads in this. And often the way you win is by placing a single bard pretty close to the enemy by himself. And then 
a huge semicircle of arches, like 50 arches, as many arches as you can afford. And um, this is apparently broken warfare. <laughs> like this wins almost all forms of historical battle. Because what happens is if the enemy has any doesn't have any kind of leaping or shooting units they run at the bard and the bard runs away and the bard will die but at some point they will lose so many people to this barrage of arrows that it'll then become unsustainable alternative they do have like leaping units they'll all leap on the one bard and in trying to leap to a single point you end up with this (laughs) giant pile of men all sort of like clambering over each other and getting stuck on each other's swords and shields and and like falling over and and all this stuff while just a gun line of archers just fires into the and i'm pretty sure this is how like medieval british like longbow worked i think you just sent one person out front yelling and playing a loot and then everyone else fired a longbow at people but it works extremely well but then you get all these like, mad little situations and i think the heart of it is it's like because it's not and actually part of me is really glad that it's not especially difficult like you get sort of there are priests for example and the priests fire like a healing slash invulnerability laser out of their holy grail on a stick and you know so an early paradigm you get given is just like surrounding the king with priests and it go, they go like, and you've got to find ways to make sure they don't die mm. or hope they don't die but like there's um you know there's a lot of um uh you know, ways to sort of try and arrange that. And you can create, again, this like, a wonderful situation earlier where a good counter to priests and, you know, loads of knights or something like that is catapults because the boulder A keeps rolling. So it might roll to the back line and kill some priests, but also, uh, the priest kind of laser has like a refresh rate. Like it goes like zzz and zzz again. And often the sustained damage of being like knocked back because they still get knocked around will mean that they still take loads of damage in the time when they're not being protected. So that first sort of like cannonball kind of, you know, or sorry, catapult barrage wipes out that initial wave. And I got a brilliant situation. I really wish I was clipped. I'd clipped it or something. I had shadow play running because it just ended up in a situation where, um, uh, a ballista was extremely slowly reloading, but the only two enemy things left were two priests and two priests left their own devices will just heal each other. <laughs> so they were stood and they looked like they were sort of like, they were just sort of like almost having a conversation, just going at each other <laughs> right in front of this ballista as it really like slowly rotated back into position and the thing comes back. And there's this great little sort of like snare drum kind of like as soon as you win and it freeze frames on that moment. So it's just a single ballista bolt, like picking two priests <laughs> up off the air and they're kind of flying through the air, ragdolling. It's so good. It's so kind of relentlessly kind of charming with how everything kind of plays out. It's really good. My favorite unit is the wheelbarrow, which is, right. a, I love that how one of the eras is just farming. <laughs> just the farm yeah, era. It's cavemen farming, knights, Greeks, Vikings. And that's it so far. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, the, all of the And it looks like there's going to be like, there's pirates. a shuriken symbol, there's a gun symbol and yeah, something I, else. I think, yeah, I think it's pirates, ninjas and yeah. Um, zombies. uh the wheelbarrow is um one guy with very big curly hair steering the wheelbarrow and another guy with a pitchfork just sitting on the wheelbarrow and they're incredibly fast and they have like some sort of driving ai or like uh, they it's remarkable how well it works and that they will they're pretty effective at smashing into the enemy do a crazy amount of damage and then if they miss they'll try and swerve around and they uh, they have a fairly wide turning circle but because they're so fast and so reckless and uh, they end up, you know, get taking damage, when they take damage, they kind of fall apart. But like the guy with the pitchfork gets up and the guy steering it, if he's still alive, can also fight. And uh, so they end up like they can mop up the survivors or whatever chaos they cause. <laughs> but it just creates like the most amazing chaos. Like the last one I did, um, 
I was just messing around in sandbox mode and I, I tried like, cause there are these single powerful units from every era. So I tried like one of each of those versus just a big mixed army that's, mm. um, and just tweaked that until it was roughly even until they sort of won and lost half the time. And, uh, the chaos, it involves a lot of berserkers, uh, who are the ones who jump. And like the first two seconds of that match are just like everything flying at the, um, uh, at the all stars team, as I'm calling it. Um, <laughs> and then just the wheelbarrow slam into that. And then any scene you look at just has wheelbarrows like veering around, smashing into walls, like just sailing through the air. <laughs> I don't know how they got into the air, but they're in the air now. And I watch one of those land in slow motion and like whilst everything else is going on behind it, you know, the front wheel slams into the ground and then the guy on the front like breaks his neck up <laughs> and the other ones like gets impaled on the, on the wheelbarrow itself. Man, there's, um, there's a really good series of missions. I think it's in the second set, which is, they're all called Final Destination something. And there's like, it's the, it's the Greek map. It's the one with the two streets that you were mm. describing. In the middle, between those two streets, there's like a really thin wall. It's like a little spar. It's about a person wide. And each of those, um, each of those, uh, missions is the same. It's just one of a particular unit. And then you have not many points, like a hundred points <laughs> to spend on something facing them. And the cheat code for a lot of this is the headbutter, which is the default <laughs> Viking infantry unit, who is a, a lady who just flings herself headfirst at people like, um, like a Muppet, like just sort of, and she, she's so quick to attack that she sort of gets a march on almost any other, even bigger form of infantry because she just flings herself headfirst. But then you get in the really amazing ones later on where you have a wheelbarrow mounted on this really thin spar of wall. And then you've got to figure out what you can place that doesn't cost very much that will defeat it straight away. And then eventually like a mammoth. And I had a game that I had to actually unfortunately restart because the king one, he managed, no, it was the, um, it was the, the berserk. It was like the, the uh, Norse, chieftain the bear guy with like the bear skin over his head mm. um just sort the of yarl. yeah the yarl uh fell so that his he was sort of legs akimbo either side of the wall <laughs> and just lay there screaming <laughs> for like indefinitely but failing to die while a bunch of archers failed to shoot him from below <laughs> it was really really good it's really like it only costs like 11 quid it's an early access and it, uh, you know I'm, I'm sure they'll add to it and things it's been unstable for me it crashes a lot which oh, really? yeah like but but from mission to mission it always saves progress and things but to me mm. reloading it but yeah it's great i had a lovely moment at the end of um one of the battles i staged and i put either a gif or a youtube video of this um on twitter um but uh, a lot of snake archers were shooting at a lot of uh <laughs> wheelbarrows oh no sorry a viking longboats and it all it mostly resolved and there was just like one snake archer left and one guy from a viking longboat like Oh, I saw this. The people yeah. on the longboats have oars and they're, they're pretty effective, but there's also the people carrying the longboats just don't have anything. And so he walks up to the snake archer. The snake archer has a very, very slow refire rate. Um, and so there's snakes all over the battlefield, but like not really focused. Yeah, to, to clarify, the snake archer shoots oh, yeah. snakes at people. Yeah, I should just explain that. I thought that was obvious. But <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not a snake that fires arrows. It's an archer that fires snakes. Um, <laughs> and so the snake archer is waiting to reload, but like you can't tell he's, he's in the process they of just He's just standing there. And then the, the other guy doesn't really have any attacks. He just has his arms, which kind of flails, but he gets too close and it, he kind of just like wraps his arm around the other guy's neck and just kind of hugs him for a yeah. while. And it's just like w waiting to see how that will resolve uh, is a lot of fun. And uh, it has a surprise ending. <laughs> <laughs> it's also, it's just the sort of, it's the fact that they, 
they try and kill each other by any means they can possibly come up with but it's always dumb and that's what makes it kind of charming <laughs> yeah. like none of even the units that are designed to do a particular thing are particularly good at it like the minotaur that picks up a guy in each hand and is just running around <laughs> like bashing them into each other and things it's great it's like it'd be like if you set up you spent an hour setting up for a big game of warhammer or something and then just resorted to throwing your models at each other like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like a food fight it's great really really good i would love them to do a daily challenge and like the leaderboard would be meaningless because it's so random but it yeah would still be i just want like a different thing every day to play on this yeah i think that's the thing is like the thing it doesn't have is really any kind of judging how well you did like i started trying to figure out like how many points can i have left over how mm. can i win and have loads of you know with spending the minimum amount of points yeah i thought it be, was going to judge me on that yeah which would be like if this was an electronics game that's yeah. what it would ask me to do <laughs> and like it made me think that so many because it's structured like that it has a structure of a puzzle game really and and all of the games that we play that are like this are usually pretty hard. Like, you know, I, I really bounced off Barbara's U despite loving the, the concept because I just got to the point where I was just like, ah, oh, fuck this. I'm, I'm not yep. smart enough. <laughs> Which is my, also, was also my Steven Sausage Roll problem and, you know, yeah. this kind of thing. Whereas this is so easy that I'm really enjoying it, but also there's no meaningful way to, also, there's just, there's probably, you know, maybe it's possible to be good at it. If you're good at it, are you missing the point? Like, sometimes <laughs> I worry that I've broken it because there'll be some interesting scenario and the bard and 50 arches <laughs> thing wins again because, because of just the way the AI works and the fact that there are certain things that are hard to avoid and one of them is chasing this bard. Um, but yeah, like maybe a score system would be good, but to be honest, I'd just be happy for them just to keep adding toys to it, basically. Yeah. Just fun interactions and, and things to do. Yeah, it's actually, it's one of the few games, I mean, I was, I was so excited about it that I was going to play it in early access, even though I don't normally do that. But also, I think it'll be especially good to be playing while they add stuff to it. Yeah, right. I'll totally log back in just to play with a new, whatever, figure out how they work. Mm. It's very good. Shall we do some questions? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, are you okay? Would you like to do some questions? Or? I don't make the rules. This is just the bit where I say that. Uh, yeah, but I mean, you sound stressed. Do you need to talk about it? No. Okay. Just because you've managed to adopt a kind of therapist pose. <laughs> now, hang this on. what therapists do. No, because you're, you're lying down patients. now, so you're in therapy. Yeah, you're okay. the therapist, Chris. <laughs> oh, God. Well, well, maybe you are, Tom. Well, I have my legs crossed in a sort of... <laughs> Uh, You're like that therapist in position. Bones, the one who takes his shoes off and mm. gets comfy. And <laughs> I can't remember whether he's a murderer or not, but you know. Well, it's Bones, so there's a 50-50 chance. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've only seen like one or two seasons of Bones, but I'm very much enjoying your tweets on it. But uh, I've finished to, to, now. <laughs> to, feel, to feel really good about my decision to not watch any more. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. The... They don't get any more professional. <laughs> Just FYI. <laughs> Having, yeah, because I watched a lot of Bones with you. I didn't watch all of it, but yes. yeah, I was there for the whole journey. I mean, we finished I won't that. slow down. There's no passengers on this ride. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, watched a lot of it. And then, and then we started rewatching Buffy. And so I've had a, like, I think if someone had said 2019, Chris, it's David Boreanaz <laughs> all day, I would have gone, why? <laughs> um, but uh, it is nonetheless. It's just. Day I've, in, day out. I've been watching Angel as well. Exactly. So I'm I've just been watching like, Seal Team, Ooh. which is a uh, exactly. spec op series with him in it. Mm. It's research for my game. What a <laughs> big, likable, rectangular man he is. <laughs> He's very rectangular. He's like a Minecraft a man. It's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Could you get him to do your trailer? Uh, perhaps. Then we could all hang out. <laughs> <laughs> might be out of my price range, which is zero. <laughs> 
I mean, I spent my voice acting budget so far, so. Explain to him how being an influencer works. <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> so I was just avoiding Tom's answer because Tom just sort of said nothing at all. <laughs> I don't know. Was that a serious suggestion? Like, because if he wants to be an influencer, he's got to start somewhere. So he should make by contacts. By being a voice actor. By, you know, like by making friends with Tom and He wishes he Tom's could break endeavors. into the yeah. video game YouTube industry. Yeah. yeah. Cause Pick Minecraft's up. oversaturated. He's never going to make it big there. Despite looking so much like <laughs> <laughs> And Fortnite's kind of, you know. Actually, done. Nathan Fillion also has a kind of boxy <laughs> head, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Yeah. Hmm. Well, a, a Nathan Fillion, David Boreanis, uh, Minecraft co-op adventure <laughs> would be something I would buy. Are they not? Could they be in the same thing? Have they ever been in the same thing? I feel like the I'm not. I'm not saying I'm not, they're both in Buffy, aren't they? They are both in Buffy, yeah. Because he plays well, but I'm not sure at the same priest. time he plays. Yeah, a priest Caleb, I think. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Well, yeah, you're right. They can both be in the same thing. <laughs> that bit it's dead. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, like to a vampire. Information. <laughs> um, our first question comes from Jim, who writes. In a recent podcast, there was a discussion about recycling old games for cash, um, as well as the downsides of Google Stadia, and it reminded me of my own recent efforts to create an offline-enabled subscription-free movie-watching setup at home. I was wondering if the CNC team had considered doing anything similar uh, for PC gaming. So Jim goes on to describe... I'm going to sort of uh, skip ahead a little bit, but the goes on to describe a setup basically entirely offline, DVD and Blu-ray players, nothing connected to Wi-Fi, and, and lots of and stacks and stacks of DVDs and, and Blu-rays. Um uh, as a way of creating a setup, uh, Jim writes, that allows me to watch my favorite movies and TV shows in, in the future without needing an internet connection, a contract, or a subscription with a media provider, and without feeling like I have a Silicon Valley billionaire sitting on my shoulder, judging me and selling my movie preferences to advertisers. Um, I do realize that there are limitations to such a setup, but it does make me feel more like I can get off the grid and have a more relaxing time. Question is, do you think such a thing is necessary slash useful for PC gaming? And if so, what would your doomsday vault look like? What equipment, games, or other objects would you go include and why? Also, what would you do to ensure that your go-to gaming experiences would genuinely last into the future? Great work on the pods. Jim. Yeah, this has been a, a nice thing about the PC, until now at least, is that like it's so backwards compatible. There's still you know things from the 90s that you can play. Uh, and when they're not, when yeah. they don't run on modern... Mystery at the Orangery. No? No. Alas. Is it... Anyway, what that's era is that? Um, I think <laughs> is maybe it DOS Windows or Windows ninety five. Because for DOS, there's DOSBox, and so like if it's far enough back, there's an emulator for I it. Think I and tried if it's more to recent, run it using a shell thing. I, um, huh. I detailed my many complaints about this whole process <laughs> a while ago, but yeah. So it's but they also have the backwards compatibility mode on Windows ten, I think. Yeah. But even that couldn't pick it up. What but, was the name of the game again? Uh, Monet, uh, the mystery at the Orangery, I think, <laughs> is the thing. But basically, it's so that's just going a, in your vault. It's a capacity. point and click. You've got to have a Windows 95 machine in your vault. <laughs> that would be good, wouldn't it? Yeah. I've managed to extract the sound files. <laughs> so, you know, you've got things like someone saying, you know, get your hot nuts here. <laughs> Wait, that. what is this so, game? Come on, Monet, get your hot nuts. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, I mean, it's a murder mystery involving a bomb plot, you know? Okay. So it's, and Monet. The hottest nuts. So, would you say that Monet's paintings are more of a 
featuring it on Monet himself. Like the the environments are very Monet inspired. Okay, but there's a bomb out. plot. But, yeah, but there's a bomb plot. <laughs> very, yeah. very uh, impressionistic bomb. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I think there's a clown at some point. I can't remember. <laughs> anyway, so it's- back to the question. <laughs> Uh, I was watching Ocean's Eleven or Ocean's Twelve recently. I watched both, uh, but one of them mentions the difference between Monet and Monet. Yeah, are they actually two different artists? Hang on, Monet and Manet—they're two different artists. In the movie, it's, it's definitely Monet and Monet, which I thought were two different ways of pronouncing Monet. But I mean, yeah, hang on, history of art yeah. degree, go. No, no, but uh, maybe they meant Janelle Monet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, they're, they're two different people. <laughs> but like. Claude Monet, or just the or just the concept and, money. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there there is an artist uh, called Manet. Who yeah, is, uh, unless the Americans say that in a really different. weird way. That's I don't know what they could mean unless like unless I'm just bad at this, which is also possible. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is the true mystery at the Orange Tree. <laughs> <Tree. laughs> I mean, like you know, Monet had a. They a do wife. think that we say potato. <laughs> which i've never quite got my head around yeah that's true that seems reasonable anyway anyway um <laughs> what would you keep uh just st- standing still thinking about uh potato <laughs> it's interesting reading potato weekly taps into a lot of questions about preservation of games and archiving more broadly because mm. mm. At some point, you know, a, a lot of games that I'm into or have been into will be sunsetted, essentially, because mm. it won't be worth keeping the servers online and therefore yeah. they will fall to either fans to maintain in some way or just disappear forever, you know, like um City of Heroes or something, you know. Mm, that. Yeah. And so I, I think... If, for those things like you know dota it would i think obviously you could you could survive it in some form but it wouldn't be the format that exists right now and and uh, and you would engage with it in a different flavor a different way a different you know um it it would represent a different population of players yeah possibly just you and a load of bots so yeah mm. yeah i think i think the thing for me that would make me nervous about any kind of archival kind of solution for even just playing my own games in a basement somewhere is like just the reliability of pc hardware mm. like obviously dvd players and mm. things will break um but broadly speaking there's more that can go wrong with a pc so i think a big part of <laughs> a big part of it would be just backups of everything like having all the games backed up on usb drives probably or solid state drives of some kind so there's not many moving parts that can break or or discs that can break and then having like a relatively reliable pc build and then five copies of every individual bit of hardware involved in that build apart from maybe the case so that you can replace every part of it which is a lot of effort to go to just to make sure that you can play things indefinitely but and like you'd have to ration yourself you just have to be like okay how many cans of compressed air versus how many cans of spam do i need for this yeah exactly you know yeah i think touch wood which i'm not but uh i can't the find the wood sill. okay um but my pc is not i haven't had to replace anything on my pc for a very long time because i was listening to um 
I was find, uh, trying to find when Marsh talked about halfway on this podcast, so I was interested in playing that game, and I tried to play it and didn't like it, and I wanted to know what he liked about it. <laughs> and so I looked up the Quick and Crowbar where he talked about it, and it was a very early one, like in our first year, I think. Um, and in that podcast, I talk about, I've just bought a new PC for Saintro 4. Um, <laughs> Man. Weirdly, because that was the only thing that didn't run well on my last PC. I think there was, oh, and VR, I think I was trying to get ready for. Um, but... And that was the last time I upgraded, I'm pretty sure. And that was a very long time ago now. Like five or six years. Yeah, man. Yeah, so I mean, obviously they can last a while, but that's the thing, that would be the thing that would concern me about if your, if your goal was like, I want a solution that could potentially last me years and years and years mm. and years and years after the apocalypse, let's say, or, or the collapse of the internet or something like that. Also, you I mean, know, power sources and, you know, I mm. mean, obviously that's just getting into the very basics of, yeah. you know, survivalism. All right. Well, maybe to pivot it away from the, just the basic necessities, what games would you keep? So I don't, so I think the other problem that I would encounter with the kinds of games I would want to keep is that I like I like the seeing what people do with things and how they develop them. So I play a lot of Animal Crossing Pocket Camp and I know it's not a PC game, but it's something that I go back to a lot and have played every day, I think, for the last year and a bit, uh, possibly year and a half at this point. And it's like the reason I keep going back is because they keep adding new items and they keep adding villages that I have cared about on different platforms or, you know, I just, I get a little thrill of setting up my campsite and new. Yeah. And I think that without an external person making things that then come as a surprise to me, a lot of games would lose their appeal so it's the sort of feeling that they're living things. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm uh, I'm automatically more interested in Sims 4 than Sims 3 because Sims 3 is a is a closed system at this point, right? I mean, obviously mods and things, but again, that's external content that I mm. haven't, you know, worked on myself or or figured out. Yeah. So, I I mean, I think I would probably stick with things that I love in a way that is so tied to things like childhood like ocarina of time like that they have a place in my in my games brain that new games can't easily break <laughs> into i think subnautica is the only other one that would yeah would come close it's a shame because um so i mostly like single player games and that mostly means that you know this question is easy for me it's just all my favorite games um but annoyingly, uh, the daily challenge for things like Spelunky and Slay the Spire is an online only thing. Like it has to connect to the server yeah, to right. get the daily challenge. And that isn't technically necessary. Obviously it's necessary for leaderboards, but, uh, the daily challenge in heat signature just goes by your system clock. It just looks at whatever the system time is. It doesn't need to connect to the internet. We don't do any kind of verification or security <laughs> or anything. Uh, <laughs> when you submit your score, obviously you need to be online and we, uh, we check that against some stuff, but, um, uh, the content itself is all local. It can, the game itself is, you know, figures out how to make the daily challenge from your date. Uh, there's no server that's that's giving you that stuff. Um, and so Heat Signature would survive the bunker thing. You could play the daily challenge in Heat Signature. You wouldn't be able to see your friend's scores, obviously. Um, but stuff like Splunky and, and Slay the Spire, which is, I can imagine, like, 
if I was cut off from society and I wanted to play games for a long time, Daily Challenge would be a really good thing to like, you know, have a, uh, just playing a little bit of each game every day would be great, but you couldn't do it because they all get it from the server. I think I would just load up on big, chunky CRPGs. Oh, yeah. I think Baldur's Gates and Pillars and Divinity and Dragon Torment Age. and Dragon Age and things because basically the two things. One, story, please. Tell me a long story about wizards. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the world has ended. <laughs> and I've run out of beans because I have 18 different backup hard drives instead of food. Um, but also like quite systemsy games where it's like, feels very different to do like, I'm going to do a wizard playthrough. I'm going to do, I'm going to do a level one playthrough. I'm going to, you know, do a solo playthrough. I'm going to do a full party playthrough. All my party is bears in the manner of Chris Livingston. Like Mm. all of these different sort of ways you can play those games. I think they have the longevity power. Not that that's necessarily the answer for like, what do you want to archive forever? But it'd be my answer for, you know, what would I fill a hard drive with? I think that's the stuff that would mean that the way you Tom play um, like Dishonored would work well because you do a lot of uh, experimentation whereas I'm very much just it's always going to be chaos and always going to (laughs) result in dragging bodies back to one room over and over until the level is basically clean (laughs) (laughs) and I can just wander around so I think I think, yeah, there's a certain amount of how you play that feeds into the value proposition of, like, replaying or mm. or figuring stuff out, which is interesting. I don't know. Maybe I would just pick a game that I haven't played before but that I know had, like, a, a, a really rapid release cadence and like you know obviously if if tech and money was kind of no object like try and set it to drip feed that to me over a slower period of time so that i would keep having new things that i wasn't expecting but that yeah 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 get to grips with just have a game developer trapped in another room. <laughs> well, for me, it's a self-solving problem <laughs> okay, to bring unity and game maker. And but I'd be really interested to know, like, you know, I always think, well, like, the heat signature was fun to play after I made it. Gunpoint was not, you know, because it was just three hours long, and I played those three hours a million times. Whereas heat signature is generating stuff. So it'd be mm-hmm. interesting, like, what kind of games would you make if you were the only? audience (laughs) no one else can ever play this because the world is destroyed (laughs) yeah you're not gonna make puzzle games are you (laughs) yeah no and probably not comedy games either (laughs) yeah or not pre-written comedy anyway no you'd probably make totally accurate battle simulator i think that's something i I would make for myself yeah right um, just before i left pc gamer i found that old issue where you and graham and um craig pearson all did like a 24 hour game own... jam or 48 hours yeah, or something yeah. and made your own game and you just made blocks fall on a man's head <laughs> and thought it was hilarious you're talking about my <laughs> seminal classic blunt force trauma yes totally changed the genre <laughs> what genre was that uh the genre of people trapped in small rooms with large heavy objects falling on their head <laughs> and you were just Break like out. oh it's win-win <laughs> Like, if you avoid the thing, then it's good for you. And if you don't, it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, this is a, a source engine. So it's basically a mod, really, because I was using the source engine. Um, uh, but uh, it was, you're in a confined space and heavy objects fall on your head. The idea is you're supposed to dodge them. And then the idea is they'd stack up and you could climb on them to get out. Um, 
And I can't remember how well that worked in the practice, but I do remember at the very end, uh, I started to introduce NPCs that you also had to, like, I guess you couldn't really protect them, but, <laughs> like, you didn't want, uh, they would get crushed by stuff and you wanted to make sure it wasn't you who got crushed. Uh, but if you managed to save them somehow, I can't remember how you saved them. Maybe you could catch things out of the air. Um, then. I think you could jump on them, maybe, or like somehow, like, there the thing, was something that you'd done that you weren't expecting yeah, to do. Yeah. So the thing that was supposed to happen is that, uh, in fact, I think it worked for the player is at the end of the level, if you complete it, I apply an upward force to you that sucks you into the ceiling and, and yeah, it was supposed to be you, you were climbing on this stuff, but that didn't work out. So I, it was too hard in the time I had. So, uh, <laughs> I just made it so if you survive it, we suck you into the ceiling and that, that get, takes you to the next level. But with the NPCs, there's some kind of, the source engine has some kind of corrective code that puts them back on the floor. And so they were being sucked up by the force that I added and then put back on the floor by the source engine. And so it looked like they were jumping up and down, which actually was kind of perfect for like, you just won and they all just jump up and down. <laughs> yeah, Help, this is torture for us. <laughs> we're still alive. <laughs> ah, good. So that's what you would do. That's in the vault. Weirdly, not IGF nominated that one. <laughs> the thing is though, I was like looking through that and going, hang on. Craig went to work for a studio and, and Graham is working on his own game, which seems to be getting funding and is yep. promising. And you, and I was like, maybe we should hold this fucking game jam again. Like, what, what are we doing? Have we mentioned Primetime Detective on this podcast? I'm sure we have. I'm sure we have. It's sure playable we have. at Rezzed if you're, if you're there when you're listening to this. Um, and it has previously been at EGX, I mm, believe. So you mm. may have seen it there. Graham's game. So. It's nice. Yeah. It's got art now yeah mm-hmm. looks lovely did we answer the question i can't remember what the question was okay um <laughs> the next question comes from kane kane writes best sandwich regards kane <laughs> is there is that a question or is it just like a best sandwich like a, there's a, a question mark, I think. there's a question mark oh okay i thought maybe kane was just having a nice sandwich <laughs> <laughs> or best sandwich no it's, it's a question. i think mine might have been one I had when I was um camping out at Valve, <laughs> uh, squatting in their offices, and they often, if they had, like, guests for a meeting or something, they would have better catering for them. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I stole some of that. Uh And there was, I guess the bread was, like, focaccia, but it was kind of, like, sweet, and it was extremely soft and just, like, almost like cake. Is that not a brioche? It was kind of denser than a brioche, and... Looked like focaccia, um, and then the contents are also like I don't know. There's some kind of cheese in it. There's some kind of like spicy sweet pepper, um, and it was just way sweeter than you expect a savoury sandwich to be. But it was amazing, and also like extremely like fatty and <laughs> had some salami and stuff in it. Cool. Hmm. And rocket or arugula as it was called locally. <laughs> There's Pip. a sandwich that they used to do in Pret that they don't do anymore. And every time I go in there, I have a little look and mm-hmm. they still don't do it. And I feel very angry. <laughs> and then sometimes that's enough to make me just leave. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It was one well, of their hot wraps, which, you, fine, come at me if you don't think that's a sandwich. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> It's bread around a He's thing. He's told me that would be the case and I tested it and it was true. So. <laughs> but it was like, a, I think it was a bean chilli kind of hot wrap with some cheese in it and avocado. That sounds and... like a burrito, Pip. Now look, it wasn't though, was it? Because it was a wrap 
a hot wrap. No, I thought you said it was a sandwich. sandwich <laughs> area. A burrito's a sandwich. Shop, now look, this shop is is known for its sandwiches, is it not? Pret sandwich. Is a burrito no, also a sandwich? Pardon? Is a burrito also a sandwich? So burrito is kind of a bag, is it not? <laughs> <laughs> but a wrap is not a bag. It's an edible bag. <laughs> no, because a wrap has holes at each end. <laughs> okay, right. So a fajita is is a sandwich, but not a bag. A taco is a sandwich. <laughs> Look, I don't want to get drawn into this semantic <laughs> skullduggery because, quite frankly. It doesn't matter. That's this... how I felt when I wanted a sandwich. Was <laughs> like I wanted one of those, and uh, you know. I'm I... with you on this, and I don't think the semantics are important. But I'm fascinated by how Americans, in particular, seem totally fixated on this. Like, is a hot dog a sandwich? Is a hamburger a sandwich? And yeah. they will just talk about it for hours. It yeah. doesn't matter. But they describe a pizza <laughs> as a pie. So yeah, what the hell? What the... <laughs> No, and then they don't seem to understand savoury pies, and I'm like, you've got a fucking pizza pie. Like, that's a savoury pie, then. Oh, wait, they don't have savoury pies? Down that route. Huh. Well, because, like, when you try and explain steak and kidney pudding pie... Whatever. Then you go down that cul-de-sac of when is a pie a pudding. Yeah, and yeah I, when's I, a Yorkshire pudding? In fairness, the yeah. British definition of pudding is is a weird and nebulous thing. And it, it, you sort of then have to explain suet. And then people just start looking at you and you're like, now look. I wonder if suet is related to rennet. <laughs> no. Maybe. It's, um, it's just money. fat, isn't it? <laughs> it's animal fat. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. I think I think Tom was doing a joke then. Oh, but, um, <laughs> sorry, I sorry, thought I thought it was no suet. Yeah, suet rennet. Yeah, I get it now. <laughs> Ooh, Jeremy rennet. <laughs> <laughs> also good. It could be an David Boreanaz thing. <laughs> so imagine you just, if he, yeah, if you just he drop Hawkeye and some milk people. and get yourself some cheese. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you now what you want to do. <laughs> No, I don't yeah. know. Um, I, but that is a sandwich that of which I was what, fond. Jeremy, Jeremy Renner in some milk. No, no, no. <laughs> and and which I am permanently to be denied. Apparently. Mm. What? Every time I liked a sandwich in the Boots Meal Deal, they would discontinue it within a few weeks. <laughs> I feel like. Yeah, I think my longest. They detected me liking it. My longest blunch um, <laughs> relationship. Has been with the Philadelphia and Ham. Is Blunch short for Boots Lunch? It is. Okay. It is. <laughs> Just to check. Yep. It's, there is nothing sadder than a Blunch at 2 p.m. <laughs> when all of the good sandwiches have gone and all of the mediocre sandwiches have gone. And I tell you've you what. just got the shit sandwiches. They do a good line in very low calorie sweet stuff though. Like those like chocolate covered kind of nougat type bars that are like 80 calories somehow, but they're like delicious. Huh. Again, not a sandwich. <laughs> no. <laughs> chocolate sandwich it's part of the meal deal damn it um <laughs> sandwich related event i believe uh george buckingham um has a the the meal deal challenge where the idea is uh that you try and basically abuse it as much as possible <laughs> to the essentially you can get? i think you 
I think they said that you win the meal deal challenge if you save more than you spend. <laughs> so, you know, if you manage to come up with a combination of items <laughs> such that the meal deal price ceiling is absolutely doubled by the actual <laughs> cost of the items and then some, which uh, I always think of every time I go in, but I will not be moved from the Philadelphia and ham triangles because quite <laughs> frankly ain't no one got time for that shit <laughs> like i'm not taking a risk on any more boot sandwiches <laughs> just a risk you can't afford to take well it's, uh, it's just too much choice and then they're like which flavor water would you like and you're like well, I just why does there need to be more than one what's happening so it's all just a bit of a conundrum and now you've added in this nougat nonsense <laughs> <sighs> Not the time on a grape bag. Absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> well, no, because they have the the normal crisp bags as the snack, which I usually get. But then they started making it so that the grab bags, which for people who don't know, are larger than normal bags of crisps. So essentially, you know, you should probably go for the healthy option and have the normal size bag of crisps because of portion creep. But... <laughs> Why would you? You're saving money. And so I just, I feel very... Oh, so you can get the bigger ones as part of the meal deal. Yeah, so I feel Mm. very much victimised every time they're out of grab bags of prawn cocktail crisps because, (laughs) like, I'm not settling for a smaller bag because why would I when the option of the bigger bag is there? But then it means that I have to pick a different flavour and I'm not into that either. (laughs) It's just, it's infuriating. Chris, what's your sandwich? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realise I had that many opinions about nice, sandwiches. Um, so, are bagels a sandwich? Yeah. Yeah. Right, well, I mean, if you've got stuff inside them, if you're just sat there nomming on a bagel... No, 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 no. no. <laughs> so, yeah, it's probably not his favourite sandwich of all time. <laughs> a plain bagel with nothing in it. So, kind of like bread on its own. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, no, smoked salmon cream cheese bagel for me, please. Mm. That's probably my favourite. Capers or no? Um... Ooh, yeah, maybe. It like depends on the. It depends on the um, the bagel. I think. Like sometimes I think they can overpower. If it's like a tasty bagel with nice seeds on it, mm. sometimes a caper can overpower that with its <laughs> whatever the, the your tiny green vinegar bombs. <laughs> Did I tell you that I'm boycotting the bagel shop at the moment? Why? <laughs> like because they were sassy with me <gasps> via guacamole (laughs) and i'm not standing for that because i went in and i said could i have a uh a bacon bagel with avocado or you know the thing that looked like guacamole and they didn't understand that those two were things that you would have together i'm like this is this is the millennial world like what are you talking (laughs) about the best combinations i don't understand how you have owned a bagel shop for however long this is or worked within one and only just come across like i i didn't know what to say is this your first day what's happening (laughs) have you have you not lived um and so uh the lady behind the counter was apparently so flustered that she put as much avocado as she could possibly fit in the in the in the bagel with the uh, bacon and it became oh. like the most messy most mm. awful like it was a sarcastic amount <laughs> of avocado it was like oh you want avocado do you well you're gonna get let's see how you avocado. fucking like avocado exactly and it was just like the the 
bagel had no structural integrity. <laughs> I, I was honestly fishing bits of bacon out at my desk while the sandwich just like slid apart from it. It was awful. And then I, I, and the other thing is, you know how expensive they usually make guacamole? And another places? thing. <laughs> like, you have to pay what seventy p for a teaspoon of um of avocado. I'm like I could have brought my own, and then like there's this lady who's just apparently slapping whole <laughs> fucking buckets of it in one sandwich. Well, you she won the meal deal challenge. <laughs> it's like I don't. Anyway, <laughs> uh, did you see Chris Remo's story about the gin and tonic? No. Okay, so he's in an airport <laughs> bar and he asks for a gin and tonic, and the guy says. Uh, tonic, that's a vodka, right? What? <laughs> says, what? No, no, it's tonic water. It's, oh, okay, okay. And then pours him like a glass of tonic water and then a glass of gin. And when he's halfway <laughs> through pouring a glass of gin, Chris says, that's good, thanks. And the guy says, okay. And then like looks him in the eye and smiles whilst continuing to fill the whole glass of gin. <laughs> <laughs> a gin and nearby tonic. <laughs> How did you become charge a... him for the gym? I don't know. <laughs> because actually, that's a great thing. He's won the meal had. challenge as well. If he had like a, a water bottle... Only the meal deal covered gin and tonics. And then could just fill that up with the gin and then just tell whoever on the plane to be like, just keep that tonic coming. <laughs> like, I'm good for the rest of this. But it, yeah, on the subject of people who seem to lack the, the most basic <laughs> requests of their job. I mean, I'm not being weird am i like bacon and avocado is a, a it's thing. very good combo yeah. yeah that actually is one of my one of my favorite sandwiches that i've made is um just like oh um hovis like multi-grain mm. seeded batch bread is really fucking good mm. and that with uh, avocado and some really crispy bacon like yeah. yeah damn yeah like uh crispy bacon and a nice spicy chili jam oh mm. so i've had the, well, when i did it it was with um uh mexicana chili cheese Ooh. Ooh. like not too much of it just a little bit but that's yeah. very oh, spicy that does sound good. yeah yeah mm. basically bacon and anything that's kind of a bit creamy mm. yeah i like i like i like i like yeah i i i do like the the a little bit of spice with bacon though it's nice i don't know i quite yeah. like the bacon's quite earthy. of a bacon roll <laughs> yeah oh, i remember north, course, yeah uh putting salt on a bacon sandwich and my dad telling me the bacon is salt <laughs> dad i respect you and i usually believe everything you say i don't think that's true <laughs> like i uh, i mean i can recommend my old like um just sort of hangover sandwich was um bacon uh a fried egg and a pinch of sage Mm. With no sauce, like frog in a cage, witch's shoe, the mermaid too. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> no else. Okay, cool. Sprig of sage, frog in a cage. You Is know, this a witch's chant. It's um, I think it's from a book on tape that we used to listen to as children, right? And one of the stories was about making a potion for something and i can't remember but apparently the recipe has stuck with me it goes on for a while after that but i thought i'd stop because no one else knew what i was talking about no because the thing is right so normally you'd, you'd, you'd slather it in in brown sauce which would be the correct sauce decision oh, no. but yep um and that's the <laughs> we'll um, get to that but a little bit of sage it's nice it's quite it adds this sort yeah, of it's quite that. a sort of 
Um, you do though because what you do <laughs> is every time, <laughs> every time you make that bloody sandwich I, haven't, I don't think I've made that since you've moved in yeah but I remember it because every time it was like mm, can you taste the sage I put sage in this <laughs> and you're just like oh my god what is it too much to ask for someone to appreciate the sage but like I started just purposely not acknowledging it because then it would I'm like, glad that that if anything, it's taste of rosemary. <laughs> I'd just be like, it just tastes like bacon. And then you just be like, it's got some sage in there. <laughs> and miraculously, I kept cooking and wasn't dissuaded. It's all this, coming out tonight. From this brutal initial attempt to shatter my confidence in my ability to season. I will also say that if you go to Greg's for one of their uh, bacon rolls um, and they say, which sauce would you like? Say a bit of both. Because actually, you get the vinegar of the of the brown sauce, and you get the sweetness of the red sauce. It's great. Hmm. Top tip from me to you. Great. I'm glad that we've managed to get a full 35 minutes of podcast out of the first two questions. <laughs> I could keep going. <laughs> I know. Good question about sandwiches. Turns out that's where uh, our real interest lies. <laughs> you can make anything a sandwich. I think that's just not true. Put two slices of bread around it. That's a sandwich. Did you hear about the world sandwich? No. They coordinated for someone, I think in the UK and someone in Australia, to put a piece of bread on the ground <laughs> at the same time. So that the world would technically be the contents of the sandwich. That's amazing. <laughs> that, I like that. There's a piece of bread Apart in from the two people standing near. part of that, I guess. <laughs> like, I don't know where it's from. I don't know where it's going, but it's... it's <laughs> Probably from a seagull and it's going well, to a seagull. <laughs> no, but... I mean, obviously, probably, but at the same time, it is the the bum end of the loaf. So it's quite nice to think that maybe someone has put the other end of the loaf on the other end of the world, <laughs> and actually, it's a hole, and then there's just like a really long loaf of bread that's just spanning, you know, <laughs> the entire world, making toast yeah. at the core. The... Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. What? No, I mean, it's a reasonable supposition. It is. I mean, it feels less reasonable now that you're looking at me like that. <laughs> anyway. In many ways, the real sandwich was uh, the the world that we made along the way. <laughs> it's got sage in it. Wow. It's a bit of a bold thing to explain, <laughs> Tom. <laughs> a little bit of sage on it. Um, Alex writes, I recently completed Into the Breach on Switch uh, but um, by unlocking the secret squad and gaining every achievement. I remember Tom F saying that he ended up cheating thanks to the power of playing on PC because some of the achievements are mad and not worth the time and effort. I wanted to counter this a little. Being forced to do it properly while playing the Switch version, that was in inverted commas, but I said it as if it were for emphasis, so I was actually throwing Alex under the bus a little bit there, but I didn't mean to. It involved getting deep into every system and mechanic the game has and coming out the other side. It was incredibly rewarding and satisfying as you know, as you understood the ins and outs of every squad to not only get their individual achievements, but simply win a game with them too, which is hard enough by itself. On PC, yeah, I might have cheated and not put in the effort, but I'm glad I wasn't allowed that opportunity. So yeah, not a question, but some food for thought on the flexibility the PC gives us when gaming can result in us harming our own experience. I remember tweaking the difficulty in Teleglitch. Fucking amazing stuff, just so I could make it past level 5. And soon abandoning it. I made it easier for myself and all interest went out the window. Why are we so adept at throwing ourselves into the fuzzy, shapeless, dimensional void? Seriously, play Teleglitch. Bye, Alex. Look, pal. (laughs) (laughs) I cheated for one achievement in Into the Breach. I got every other fucking one. And the last one left was play as the random squad and get, like, 
X time capsules in one campaign, one island or something. And it's like, well, that just happens or it doesn't. It's up to the random generation as to whether I get that many capsules. I completed it as every fucking squad. Of course I did. I played 180 hours. <laughs> that was the only one. And it was just like, it wasn't interesting to pursue that. I had already gone through exactly the process they describe of, you know, learning the, the ins and outs of each squad and, you know, expanding your understanding the game through that stuff. And that one, I just thought, well, this just isn't interesting. I just want the secret squad. So I needed to get it. No further. And questions. I'm glad I did. <laughs> Well, unlike Tom, I don't feel the need to cheat. Uh, <laughs> I um no, that's actually a lie. And also, uh, I don't necessarily think that it's a case of ruining your own enjoyment. I figure, like, I would probably crash out of the game either through boredom or through my own fault. But, like, you know, if it's my own fault and I've tweaked the difficulty, then I might have got a bit further than, than the point where I would have just got frustrated and and essentially rage quit. So mm. <laughs> you might not have stuck with Telly Glitch. You don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think just you know, I think maybe there is a case to which you can ruin things for yourself, but you probably know if you're if you're reaching to do that, then you're probably not fully enjoying the game and if you're having to be forced to enjoy a game by mm. restrictions how much do you enjoy that game i think something i mm. would say is that games have i think a few things recently have maybe done a better job with it but games have historically not been very good with um hint systems and i think that those then become a weird uh uh, almost a, a, a gameplay loop in and of themselves like once you start using them the incentive is to to keep using them or um they they don't help you deal with whatever the thing is that you weren't seeing to get past the hump in the first place like if if you were um not able to progress in for example a puzzle game and you look up a solution the solution or you know if you if you get a hint as to how to progress that m might not necessarily tell you the problem with the way you were approaching it that you were running up against and you might immediately run up against it in the next puzzle and therefore need a hint again and you know it's it like i think people I think it's hard to design a system that tries to figure out where someone is running into problems with something. And so you end up turning to maybe walkthroughs or online tip videos or whatever. And those again, kind of brute force it. Like maybe you, you go, Oh, okay. Well, that's the, the thing I need to do, or that's the piece I'm missing for this thing. But it, it's skimmed over another thing that you maybe needed. So you're like, okay, well, I'm slightly further on physically in the game but i don't know why or it doesn't connect up to these other bits properly so it i i think ends up like the ability to cheat the ability to look up the ability to to access hints in a in a way that doesn't deal with the reason you weren't progressing in the first place like all of those are problems that i think games haven't really solved yet mm. sorry that was that was an actual thought i had and it wasn't about sandwiches <laughs> sorry for having an actual thought <laughs> that's good because my answer was just aya <laughs> <laughs>
And that is all of the questions slash ire that uh, we've got time for today because we're up against time. Uh, which I wanted to say is a little housekeeping though right at the end. Um, we had some people ask if we were going to be doing anything at REST. Uh, pretty sure this podcast is going to go up a little bit before uh, the weekend is fully underway because I'm traveling for REST. But we as a podcast um, are not going to be doing the traditional REST live show this year. The timing just didn't really work out because the, the days of the show shift around a little bit. Um, I think we'll all be there at different points. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, all, certainly all of us in this room will be. Uh, so do say hi if you, if you see us and, and recognize us for whatever reason. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're not doing the, the live pod this year. So it's just going to be business as usual pod wise this week and next. Uh, if you would like to send us a question for next week's episode, we do have a little backlog as well, uh, to, that we will get through. So thank you if you already sent us a question. Uh, you can do so by emailing us questions and creating crowbar.com or tweeting us at creating crowbar. As ever, you can find our community on discord. The link for that is in the show notes and on our website at creatingcrowbar.com. And thank you as ever to our Patreon backers who make podcasts do by giving money to Patreon. You can find out more about that at patreon.com forward slash crowbar. There's a YouTube, youtube.com forward slash crowbar and assorted internet services um, beyond these one imagines. Who knows what they might be <laughs> and what I might have forgotten. Uh, Tom Francis's Twitter handle is... At Pentadact, P-E-N-T-A-D-A-C-T. Fantastic. Thanks. For- <laughs> <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Pip? Well, I thought you were... What's your Twitter handle, Am I the Pip? only one on Twitter now? <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was doing a joke. Uh, it clearly um, backfired. I see. I'm at Philippa Woo, which is P-H-I-L-I-P-P-A-W-A-R-R. Fantastic. And I'm at C. Thurston. That's C-T-H-U-R-S-T-E-N. This one isn't a joke this time. Thanks for listening, everybody. everybody.